Welcome back to the channel. This is The Brave Believer, and I'm Sean. I want to thank everyone here that's uh, in the live chat already waiting for tonight's reaction to the recent Jim Bob and Owen Benjamin Trinitarian debate. It was um, vulgar, lewd, full of confusion, and funny at times, but um, also sad at other times because of the confusion on both sides. And uh, so I'm going to offer some um, of a of my thoughts from scripture to both sides of the argument. Hopefully, if Jim Bob's watching, give him something to chew on and hopefully uh, deter him from this illogical viewpoint. And if uh, Owen Benjamin ever sees something like this, hopefully give him something also to consider as far as, since I don't feel like uh, his his opponent Jim Bob actually articulated the Trinitarian position very well, as um, and we can actually answer some of his questions from scripture, I think that he's still learning uh, about scripture and still studying. And so hopefully we'll be able to provide some, um, some answers in case anyone ever passes this along to him and wants to show him just something to think about, um, because the questions that he has are easily answered in the book. So this is not some great mystery. Um, they're already there. We can know God. He wants us to know him. He says that as much in the book. He tells his prophets, uh, the information we need to know about him. And so that we can make an informed decision. And so that's, um, unfortunately, was not communicated well by his opponent because his opponent was too busy um, with all kinds of other things that you'll see. So, guys, big shout out. Thank you so much. I want to uh, give a big um, congratulations to this week's winner for our First Enoch Contextual Study Guide. It's color-coded with commentary and supporting scriptures. Uh, we have these in the video description below on Amazon if you want your own. But this week, we have a winner, Miss Joy Trujillo. I hope I'm saying that right, Joy. And um, we'll be contacting you through email, and uh, I'll let you get you a chance to, to, you know, me send that to your address. So congratulations, and I've been giving away one of those every week. Um, so that's all you got to do to enter is you can either drop a comment on one of our videos here on the channel and as you share the video, or you can also download our Kingdom in Context app that we have video. It's in the video description below. This is what you see the side of the screen. Download the app, and at the bottom of the app, there's an actual address where you can email me with your username that you signed up with on the app, so I know it's you and that you did download the app, and I'll enter you in for the drawing as well, okay? So, without further ado, guys, um, mods, thank you so much in the live chat for keeping everything civil, and uh, let's jump right into this. Okay, it is the Trinity. Owen Benjamin's position on this is that there is one Godhead and that it is not necessary to believe in the Trinity, to be a good Christian, or to believe in Christianity. And uh, Jim Bob will be... Oh, and as you guys can see, I've got below the video here, um, how many times the word God is going to be used throughout this discussion, but it's never defined. And this is what causes the mass confusion. Also, um, this is about a two and a half hour debate. They did about an hour and 15 minutes worth of super chats and questions from the live audience. But the first hour-ish is kind of the core uh, meat of both of their arguments and back and forth. So during the super chats and the following few minutes towards the end, it just spiraled into Owen shouting, who's he praying to? Who's he praying to? And Jim Bob just being like, just rocking in his chair. It was really, it was really odd. So... We're not gonna we're not gonna re react to all that stuff. Um, I just gave you my reenactment right there, so you guys can take that and run with that. But we're just gonna react to like the meat of their arguments and their their overall discussion. So <laughs> let's get going here. It'd be a little bit gay. 
Well, I mean, th thanks for that, you prick, right? But fair enough, fair enough. So, gentlemen, here's the rules for the debate. I have a timer next to me. You both will get a seven-minute opening. You don't need to use the entire seven minutes, and if you yield your time, the other person doesn't get the time. They still have to stick within the confines of their seven-minute opening. So if you only have a couple of minutes and you think that that clarifies your position before we move to opening the entire debate up for the back and forth, um, then, then we'll do that. Jim Bob's going to be opening for us tonight. The only thing that I ask both of our debaters do is adhere to the moderation. I'm not going to get involved too much, only if I see it getting way off into the weeds, and then I'm going to kind of bring it back. So, Jim Bob, you have seven minutes on the clock. Go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Owen, for showing up and doing this. It's awesome. Um, when Owen started uh, doing commentary about the Trinity, why wouldn't he comment? He Real quick, just in case you're not familiar with who these people are, Jim Bob has a YouTube channel where he, he makes animations and, and does different types of blog stuff. Um, Owen Benjamin, uh, nationally known, probably internationally known uh, comedian, as well as now he has his own YouTube channel as well. He used to. He's, he's been kicked off YouTube multiple times. Um, I think he's on uh, other channels like Rumble, BitChute, uh, Odyssey, things like that. He has his own, um, his own TV channel. I think it's called... Uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, but you guys can put it in the live chat if you know. But the point is, um, he's a very influential character. Uh, he loves comedy. He's been going through a lot of red pilling in the past four or five years on a bunch of different topics. And this is one that he he's going to explain how he came to the Trinity topic and how it did make sense and what what caused him to actually start trying to address it. And um, and yeah, he just uh, he's influential. So people are listening why he's questioning this and it becomes kind of a, a big deal in our modern culture because he gets so much backlash he does commentary on everything and uh when he turns uh, his tail knocks over everything in sight so we would expect that um uh, when he started talking about the trinity there were people who were angry and left there were people who were angry and stayed um there were people who stayed and agreed with him um there are people like me um who stayed and didn't agree with them and weren't angry. So I know that there's more of you out there in, in this. Uh, um, uh, and so I'd be lying to say that uh, when he started contending with the Trinity, that, did, that didn't actually have me focus more on the Trinity, right? So it wasn't like he's talking about this and now it's like over. It, it actually drew focus to the Trinity. I would even argue more so than the current apologists, right? Because we kind of just take it for granted. So that was a huge uh, deal for me because it wasn't about whether I agreed with Owen or not. It was about, oh, we haven't really established this. And then we saw, right, we saw Bill Nye of Catholicism, the Logos, uh, pair up with the homosexual and some other magician and did a horrific job, in my opinion. Uh, not only a disservice to Owen. So to my understanding, he's not truly referring to Bill Nye. Um, he's referring to a guy that kind of looked like Bill Nye. There was this other broadcast apparently that uh, owen did on his channel where there was like four catholic based or uh, trinitarian supporting peoples that showed up to try to do an intervention with owen to to get him to stop questioning the trinity and apparently i didn't watch all of it i saw clips of it uh, from another uh, interview on a different channel and apparently like um the guy who jim bob is kind of making fun of that that resembled bill nye is an older gentleman um Apparently, like he was the moderator of it all, and at times they wouldn't let what uh, Owen talk, and they basically just started to, you know, tell him it's wrong for you to question this, and then they didn't like Owen questioning it and talking, and so it was a weird kind of uh, virtual intervention that they actually, t you know, filmed and broadcasted. So that's what he's kind of getting at, and so Jim Bob's like, 
Jim Bob in his own right is sitting there going, I saw that and I saw what they did to you and I don't agree how they treated you. So I'm going to step in and, and debate you and explain to you the Trinity and try to convince you of the Trinity. Whereas Owen's already left the building on the Trinity. He's already like, bro, this isn't, this doesn't make any sense. It's not in the scriptures, it, you know, and, and um, I'm never, I'm not hearing good arguments on it, but Owen Benjamin was raised in Catholicism. Like, so as you can imagine, he's, he's, he's heard it all of his life. Um, so it's interesting. When not only was it trickery, but it was, a terrible event. It was a terrible event. I, if I were Owen, I would have been like, oh, I, I'm right about this, definitely, right, if I were him. So it makes sense to run from, from all of that, right? So I'm looking further into this, right? And, um, and so it's, it's necessary, right? It's important. And, and by the way, um, how blessed are we to be focused on, on God today instead of crunching Gematria numbers and making bets on the Grammys and Super Bowl and predicting when the next Power Ranger is going to die? Thank God we're not doing that. Um, so, okay, let's get into it. I often hear the Trinity is confusing. God isn't the author of confusion. Right away, I'm going to establish a paradigm, a, a, a category problem here. If we're talking about God, the eternal, we're not talking about something that's authored. We're talking about something that's eternal. So if the Trinity was true, it wouldn't actually be in the category of authored anyway. But that's to say also that anything confusing isn't godly, which is silly. I mean... We could argue trigonometry is godly. There are some, there are some aspects of music that aren't very clear and maybe complex and hard to understand. So I don't understand it. It's confusing. Therefore, not God. godly is a, a silly position that I've heard. Not that Owen's going to be arguing that. I've just heard it a lot. And I'm using it because I want to establish that it's far more than a conceptual framework we're talking about. It's an ontological uh, position. It's not an epistemic. That is to say, it's not about describing the Trinity in a way that makes sense. We're actually talking about God as a being, which is. <laughs> okay, guys, as you can see, we got the, uh, we got the counter going already tonight. Um, he's already up to six and I don't know if I'll be able to keep an accurate count tonight. So bear with me because um, obviously this is what the debate's about and, uh, and none of them define it. So, um, but he gets close right here, right here. Jim Bob gets close when he starts talking about the ontological argument. But right before that, did you already said he's like, it's not about explaining the Trinity in a way that makes sense. It's about the ontological argument that who God is as a being. <laughs> he, <laughs> he literally is just admitting like right there, this doesn't make sense. It's not about that, but. It, it is not supposed to make sense because you're just supposed to focus on this idea of God as a being, three persons in one being. And then, of course, the logical part of Owen digs in on that in a little bit, going, how can it be three separate persons but one being? And he's like, look, I get it. They're all, I get what you're trying to say, but like that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. And he's right. It doesn't. The, the world doesn't speak like this. No one defines personhood like this. No one defines a, a being like this, a being made up of three different persons. Persons is just a, another name for another concept that, that can be used for an entity or being. And so um, you're gonna, they're going to run into that semantic confusion because he's not defining. He, he's going he's to start using words like theophany and ontological and things like that. And Owen's never heard these terms because he hasn't studied you know, seminary terms. Um, and he probably hasn't done a lot of debates like we have <laughs> to, to debate people that have uh, been trained in seminary. And so it's, it's funny because you're going to see like this massive frustration from Owen. He's like, dude, it's like you're speaking a different language. And when you do say some words that I recognize, they don't make sense in the sentence because 
he's describing something that's not in Scripture that is an eisegetical imposition into Scripture. And so we, we're going to look at Scriptures tonight. We're going to look at some—we're going to break down both of their arguments, and uh, it's wild. Also, the Crucible is apparently a debate channel. Someone was telling me a while back that I need to go on there and do debates and everything, but I have—you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe if they reach out to me at some point, but— um, yeah, so apparently the guy, Jim Bob, on the top left, and and Andrew, who is the host of The Crucible, they're both Eastern Orthodox in their faith, and they are Trinitarian believers. Ontology. Um, It's an important distinction. Why? Because it's, um, I believe that the Trinity is not only integral to Revelation, uh, I believe that triadic unions are are the foundation of reality itself, that not not only relates to concepts... uh, Okay, so that's a philosophical argument, that the triadic union is a foundation of reality itself. It's not even a scientific argument. That's not, a, that's not an argument based on physics, because there's all types of pairings of different numbers and all of, science, all of observable life. And, and Owen's going to call him out on that later, but he's trying to say that he believes the Trinity is foundational to Revelation, meaning you can't understand the Bible unless you believe in the Trinity. So this is a huge fallacy, an imposed eisegetical fallacy right to begin with, as far as him saying, this has to be your hermeneutic lens by which you interpret and read scriptures. You have to believe the Trinity first. And that's just utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. No point in any, no point in any books of the prophets did they ever say, now before I read to you the words of God that the angel handed down to me, I need to make sure that everyone understands the Trinity. Does everyone understand the Trinity before I read these words? Because otherwise it's not going to make sense to you. When Ezra in Ezra chapter 8 is given his famous speech, does he sit there amongst all of them and, and <laughs> have to tell them to give them a litmus test first if they believe in the Trinity first? No, of course not. It's absolute man-made garbage. Um, and to things, but it's integral to person-to-person relations. That the Trinity is about the unity of multiplicity. It's not about... N- <laughs> well, I am... I am... Uh, I'm happy to see Jim Bob's here tonight. Well, hey, brother. Just to let you know, you will be treated the same way we'll treat Owen. So there's some things that I think you did well. There's some things that I'm obviously critiquing on that you I don't think you did well at all. And then we're going to look at Owen with the same regard. So now, unfortunately, I don't actually uh, – I, I edited this clip down because of time, so I'm not going to be reviewing the part where Andrew, the, the moderator, literally jumped on your side to argue against, to argue against Owen, which you know is kind of like a moderator foul. But I do think that Andrew did pretty good as, as a whole as far as trying to keep both of you guys on track and away from emotions. So but let's keep going. A number. It's not about that. It's not about drawing sticks on a page and figuring out how to connect them. It's about unity in multiplicity. So um, reality itself is a triad of space, time, and matter. It's a unity of three. We don't say one space, one time, one matter equals three reality. It's one time, one space, one matter, and it's one reality. This demonstrates it's not a mathematical equation. Maybe I should have another, an additional counter. I, I, it's already too late, I think, at this point, but I probably should have put an additional counter below my undefined use of the word God counter um, for philosophical arguments that are not scriptural. Because, yeah, Jim Bob would be, uh, would be filling up that counter too. And that's not the format from which we determine it's coherent or not, because we're talking about ontology, not descriptive uh, mathematical laws describing things in the world, right? 
So I'm going to stop pausing it, but I'm just, again, we're in the first few minutes. I'm trying to set up for the audience, guys. So what Jim Bob is doing here in this moment is what you guys have seen me do as many times as we've had debates and other, other discussions that turned into debates, unfortunately, with pastors and professors and theologians. And this is why I spend so much time in the beginning allowing them to make their argument, right? And obviously, this is a structured, well, kind of structured. This is supposed to be a structured debate, but you guys see me invite people on for an open discussion. To, to, so I want to give these people time. To, to flesh out their argument so that the, the audience knows what these things are. So that's why many times when they're doing that, you see me interrupt them. I try to be as polite as possible. But I, like in this moment, I would have said, hey, Jimbo, can you define ontology for the viewer? Because Owen doesn't even know what it means. So <laughs> um, the average viewer doesn't exactly know what it means. And, uh, and Jim Bob, later, I'm going to put forward that um, – you're not actually using it according to its biblical definition pertaining to 1 Corinthians 15, which is what a lot of Trinitarians don't do. They're not defining that term well either. So this is why there's a lot of confusion all the way around. This reality, we're, we're also composed of mind, body, and spirit, another unified triad, not parts. We're not more soul or more body than mind and, and vice versa. And the three of them don't make up three. The three of them make up one us and we're made in God's image because we're made in God's image. And uh, we ontologically are tri tripartite. Uh, it necessarily follows that God, because we're made in his image, is also tripartite. Um, so, brother, I'm, I'm 100 percent a father. All right. So I, I won't be responding to you much in the comments, Jimbo, but I do appreciate you being here to watch. And I, I understand since I'll be critiquing you if you don't if you don't want to comment, you don't have to. But do but do understand. And I get what you're saying that you're, you weren't trying to make a biblical argument. And I think that's very much a missed opportunity. If you do have a, an opportunity with with Owen to actually go over the scriptures with him, that's what he needs to hear. His brain doesn't care about philosophical arguments. He can turn those, twist those, play with those. He's a comedian. He doesn't that he's he needs to know. Comedians are almost Comedians are lighthearted engineers, right? He needs to see the process. He needs to see how one plus one equals two, not one plus one equals one. He needs to see the process in a pra pragmatic way. This is why he even pleads with you at the end of this debate. I need a coherent storyline. I don't need a philosophical argument de uh, describing a predisposition before I hear the story. He needs to hear a coherent storyline. So Jim Bob, I'm glad you're here and I hope that you do stick around whether you comment or not, just at least hear out the rest of the video because I will be providing the, the coherent storyline with Scripture as why the Trinitary viewpoint is impossible pertaining to the purpose Yeshua was sent. So hopefully it'll be a blessing for you. 100% a brother and 100% a son. I'm not one or more or the other. Uh, I'm fully each of those distinctions. Uh, they're not identical to the Trinity, by the way. This is a reflective argument, which is to say I'm not arguing the Trinity is true because we see triads. I'm saying we see triads because uh, we are of a a triune source. That's the, that's the argument. Um, I believe that uh, God necessarily needs to transcend one and many things. If he's one thing, he's not transcendent. He's a particular. If he's many things, he's all things unrelated. Somehow this leads to a monistic view, which is to say everything you see is God. But if he's one thing, he's now captured as one singular part, right? So God must necessarily and logically, if he's transcendent, be the unity, both one and many things, because that transcends how we talk about things, right? God can't be reduced to the way we talk about objects in the world, parts, collections, etc. Time and So I actually wish at this point Owen would have would have asked Jim Bob to define transcendence, right? As far as how he's using it in this analogy, this 
this presupposition of of this philosophical viewpoint of the Trinity. Um, because I know what it means, but I'm not sure Owen got it in that context. And I'm sure Owen's a smart guy. I know he, he knows what transcendence means as well. He delves into uh, breaking down esoteric things on his channel. I just mean it, it didn't come across very clearly, even in the arguments, um, in my opinion, for the average viewer. Again, I, I'm, this is, this is what, why we're reviewing and reacting to something like this. But before we go much further, since we hit our, since we hit our first qualifier here for 10 times, the word God is being used with no definition of how we're using the word God. It's just being pl plugged into a sentence randomly, right? So let's look at a biblical definition of the word God, because I think this is extremely important. Um, super, super extremely important for this. All right. It's theos in the Greek. It's Elohim in the Hebrew. Okay, it's the word God. The translator decides in the context it's used, whether it's a capital G for the Almighty or for maybe the Son, or it's a lowercase g for the angels, demons, or judges of men. And there are multiple uses throughout Scripture, like in John 10, when Yeshua reminds the Pharisees, did not, did not to whom the word came, you be called gods, right? Because they were rulers. Aaron and, and Moses became rulers over the people because they had the word of God to teach and disciple with and to judge by. So they were put in a position of authority. And this is what this ultimately, this word at its core value means. It's an authority. Now, once you get more of an expressed specific definition of it, depending on its context, it can raise in a different value or a different context to not just mean rulers of men, but also false gods like unclean spirits or even angelic rulers, which are like Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 talks about. Um, and other principalities, the angels themselves are rulers. They're now lesser in authority than the resurrected Yeshua. But then you also have the Son of God, whom is under the authority of the Almighty God. So this is where the Almighty God is the definition of this term that Owen thinks is being used throughout this entire conversation. That's why he's it doesn't compute. He doesn't make sense. And I and I and I get it that. Uh, what we're going to hear earlier, Jim Bob, in a minute, Jim Bob tries to break it down and say, no, 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 we're not, we're saying that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And, but Owen's still saying, but you're still calling him God. So this is why I'm saying, if we define our terms during these conversations, like, look, whether, whether Owen believes in the Trinity or not, that's up to him. But at least if we're trying to express to someone this idea, we've got to define our terms so they under, properly understand the, the theology. So that's, uh, yeah. That's the idea. We got to define God. So this is why I have the counter today, because we're going to see how many times God is spoken of and used in the, in the discussion, but it's never defined. So the, the confusion persists and abounds. Andrew, one minute. Uh, if we, if again, if we agree that God transcends categories and particulars, then we agree he transcends parts, objects, mechanisms, numbers, math, uh, equations, and so forth. Um, we can't use the same methodology for knowing the external world, uh, for establishing the ontological state of God. Um, and what we, so what do we use? We use revelation. Revelation is already supra rational. That means above ordinary rationality, but still rational. So it's a real word. I didn't just invent it. Um, and so when we talk about how we know things about God, we're actually not using uh, our ordinary rationality or logic. Why? Miracles, uh, theophanies. The creation itself is beyond ra our rational uh, reasoning, our 
logic, our uh, limited human form of thinking. That I actually um, partially disagree with, and I partially do agree with, um, that the creation itself is not beyond our rational. We have over 500 scriptures in the Bible that teach us exactly what the Creator made, the Creator of heaven and earth. He describes the heavens, its occupants, its position to the earth, the earth, its occupants, its position to the heaven, the underworld, Sheol, or also called Hades in the Greek, its position to earth and heaven, Tartarus, its position to Sheol and also to the earth, and how they're all used at the eschatological fulfillment of the return of Christ and the judgment that brings peace upon the earth. So I don't think it's outside of our realm to know. Now, do we truly know how he created things by when he said, let there be light, and then suddenly there's light? Do we know how that works? I, I, don't, I don't think any scientists know how light truly works or its origination. So I, I grant part of that, but at the same time, I, this is a common thing within a lot of Trinitarian arguments that you guys have seen on our channel where they get to a point where they, they can't explain something, so they, they push it off to it's a mystery. And therefore, regardless of whether I said what I said is coherent or not, God's ultimately just a mystery, so we're never really going to understand it. So, but so if that's our case, if that's, if that's the Trinitarian uh, fallback, is that because God's so mysterious we can't truly understand everything, then you have ne never, ever, ever, and I don't, I don't think Jim Bob does this, but there's a lot of other Trinitarians, especially Roman Catholic Trinitarians, they do this. They will say, well, if you don't believe my confusing and undefined definition of God, you're out of the faith. So, and this is the way that um, those other people that were kind of doing this quote-unquote intervention with Owen, that's the way they treated him um, in, in a previous encounter that was being referenced earlier. That's why we've, we've had that happen live on our, on our channels. Uh, where we're debating a Trinitarian, whether it's a classical Trinitarian or a oneness Trinitarian, and they'll say, oh, well, I can't really de describe every, I can't answer every questions and I can't define everything about this. And I, and I grant you that sometimes it's a mystery, but if you don't believe it, you're not saved. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's the most contradictory claim to authority that I've ever heard in my life. It's just silly. It's just posturing. So yeah, this is why I think it's very important um, that we take the words in scripture as they actually are in scripture, right? We have to understand that God tells it. we can know what God wants us to know. So if he actually took the time to give revelation to his prophets and passed that to, from the angels down to the prophets to men, or down to a priest to men, because like Ezra was a prophet and a priest, um, then yes, he expects us to not just know it, but understand it and comprehend it. So this is a very point of the initial framework within a believer. If he's told by people teaching him scripture that, well, you can't know everything, but and when I can't explain scripture to you, but you better believe my interpretation of it or you're out. Nobody respects that. That's nonsense. That's theological intimidation. So with that, I would like to get into uh, mostly the relations and why Unitarianism can't account for. And that's time, Jim Bob. I appreciate that opening statement very much. Uh, Owen, I'm going to restart the clock for you. You have seven minutes. You can go ahead whenever you're ready to. And remember... Uh, that the one of the people in the chat right away, he says, all these guys act must be taking this seriously because they all combed their hair for this. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Seven minutes. <laughs> all right. I wrote a little something here, too. So and also I want to say how grateful I am that we can have this. OK, so I just want to preface everybody. If you're not familiar with Owen Benjamin, he's a comedian. He doesn't claim to be a theologian. <laughs> he is a comedian. OK, so his opening statements, I, I thought. 
he could have put less jokes in there and and like trying to focus more on his arguments. I, he does make arguments, but he he layers them with sophisticated and sarcastic jokes. And I don't think Jim Bob caught a lot of them, uh, caught a lot of the arguments because they were they were so like layered in jokes. Um, because Owen is a comedian and he's a pretty smart dude as well as Jim Bob is. They're they're both smart dudes. So they. <laughs> I don't think the opening argument came across very well as far as a debate because he, he makes a lot of jokes. Just be aware, guys. And I try to cut out as much as the language as possible. Discussion. It's a great place to put our focus outside of, you know, the hellish stuff people are focused on. This is much better. My, my opening statement is a little more aggressive. <laughs> but here we go. I am um, arguing that there is not adequate evidence that Jesus is God and that the Trinity doctrine goes against the words of Jesus in the New Testament of the Holy Bible. And they contradict the established laws of God that Jesus declared he did not come to change, but to fulfill. My opponent, Jim Bob, is highly intelligent, funny. He's a family man who is strong enough to speak the truth in times of fear and lies. But believe me when I tell you, he is cunning as a snake and well-versed in the arts of shape-shifting and word magic. What was one of the words he already used? Hang on, foriphany? No, no, hang on. Theophany. Ontology? Theophany. Oh, Theophany. Theophany. Jim Bob is a husband and a father and a brother, but he's also probably a cousin, so he's a fority. I don't know. Anyway, to avoid issues with YouTube's terms and conditions, I will spare you the unspeakable specificities of Jim Bob's lineage. But believe me when I tell you, these people are incapable of speaking directly, and they spin their illusions with their words exactly how a spider spins its webs opening to trap a fly. My cunning opponent will attempt to use logic as his foundational argument when it suits him. But ignore the illogical notion that a man would pray to himself, cry out for mercy to himself, or of course sit at the right hand of himself. Given Jesus is the Son of God. Given Jesus is God, therefore Jesus is the Father of himself. That is not sound logic, and I was disappointed to see the normally logically bound Jim Bob touch push such faulty logic jesus boom right there that's the first uh the first argument that that owen makes that i feel like any anyone debating and hearing that first argument right out the gate let's define our terms what does it mean to be god almighty what does it mean that psalm 45 6 and 7 says that yeshua is called god by god we have the two, the, it's two uses of the word elohim in the same sentence, and that was repeated in Hebrews eight and nine. Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews chapter one, verse eight and nine, is speaking about the ordination of Yeshua into his high priesthood, getting the oil of joy above his and putting above his companions, putting a position of authority above his companions, um, and then therefore God, your God, right? It's it's repeating Psalm forty five six and seven in Hebrews one, because we understand why Thomas can look at Yeshua and say, "My, you, my Lord and my God," but then. Seven verses earlier, Jesus tells Mary, I go back to your God and my God. Because it's about rulership. It's about an authority figure. That's what the word God means. So yes, Yeshua, the Son of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 27, even has his own authority figure. It's the Father. Just like 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says as well. There's one true God and his Son, Jesus Christ. So we do look to Jesus Christ as an authority figure. He has been given the authority of all heaven and earth, and we do call him God as a in a ruler sense, but we know that he's not the Almighty. So what we're going to hear in a few minutes, it's it's layered into a bunch of interruptions from Owen, but Jim Bob tries to make the argument of the eternal nature of the Son 
being second part of the Trinity within that theology. But that's such a it's such a weird, confusing sticking point. And he, he goes into the the most the famous analogy of love that that a lot of Trinitarians use. Because Owen just needs to know like why are these different entities being called God? And and it's cleared up. We're done in five minutes. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is God, therefore God is a lamb. And on and on it goes. He may also push tenets of modern leftist common core math, like one plus one plus one equals one. It doesn't. It's three. The answer is three, and it's always going to be three. With fistfuls of icons, idols, and manuscripts written by long-dead and unverifiable church fathers, he will attempt to claim the demise of Western civilization is because we refuse to adopt to their bizarre and monopolistic interpretation of Scripture. That if I fail to kiss the proper authority's ring of a man dressed in a robe who keeps trying to get me to kiss his hand, we will all fall to global homo. Jim Bob will speak quickly and use large words like presupposition and archaic insults that no one understands like Aryan heresy. Let me guess. My mama is a Visigoth. Okay, so there's like three different jokes like crammed in there right there. So to my understanding, I, I, I haven't watched a lot of Jim Bob in the past, but it seems as if Owen's referring to a previous joke that Jim Bob even made where he was referring to the Western Roman Catholic Church and its problem with priests touching little boys as and having churches all over the world, that's where that global homo term comes from. So I, I'm just guessing, trying to infer from from these. Like I said, I don't I don't think that that um, I, I know it's it's probably d- extremely difficult for Owen not to be funny and not to try to put jokes into his opening his opening arguments. <laughs> but for the case of like you know arguing this specific topic and all this, it, it just the average listener like his. I don't know. There's a difference in comedy that's spoken verbally versus written comedy. So like when you're writing and you you when you're reading something with your eyes, written comedy, there's a different flow than when you're hearing it audibly read out loud versus when you're hearing comedy spoken out loud. So I, I just not I'm not sure it, it came over it just went over well um, as far as the listener. When I say these people are incapable of speaking directly and clearly, I mean it. Watch for Jim Bob's sleight of hand. My crafty opponent may use carefully selected Bible quotes like only through the son can you get to the father to claim that Jesus is in fact God. Imagine someone saying only through the trail in the woods can you get to grandmother's house and with a straight face claim that this is evidence the trail in the woods is grandma's house. Or quotes like I and the father are one from the same book that says the father or the husband and the wife are one. Jim Bob uh, is no longer is no stronger, no stranger to the absurdity of gender confusion. Either the Bible is claiming I, claiming I am, in fact, my wife, Amy, or it is referring to one essence, one mission, one purpose. My opponent will attempt to create the illusion that the way is the destination, that the word is the speaker, and the son is his own father. He will do this under the claim of logic. And when that inevitably fails, he will settle on it's all just one big mystery and how dare you limits God's abilities to keep secrets from himself. So this is where oneness Trinitarians muddy the waters. Because classical Trinitarians, like Jim Bob, is trying to argue that they believe three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wrapped in one essence of what's called God, right? That's why you see the little triangular little diagram, you know, Son is not the Father, Father is not the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is not the God, but they're all God and centralized center. Um, I don't believe that's scripturally stated. I believe it's purely philosophical eisegesis. I don't believe it's scripturally stated anywhere. We, uh, we have, you know, definitions for the word God, and we have clear both pre-incarnate, while in the flesh, and then post-glorified. We have start to finish 
the Son is never in equal authority to the Father, ever. That's stated in all of Scripture. We've done, uh, well, on my other channel, we've done a whole breakdown on that. On that. It's called, um, is the Father equal to, is the Son equal to the Father, or something like that. But, uh, but right here, in Owen's argument, he's repeating things. He's probably spoken and, and had in his comment section, his emails, and, and people he's talked to, he's probably had a mix of both classical Trinitarians and oneness Trinitarians try to talk to him about this. Now, classical Trinitarians refer to oneness Trinitarians as Sabellianists or modalists uh, or oneness. And, and fortunately, um, it, it's amazing that without defining their terms, even the, the oneness Trinitarians mask themselves as classical Trinitarians so far into a conversation until you really start digging down. And likewise, I've done live interviews with classical Trinitarians who sound exactly like oneness until you make them verbally say, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's not his own father. So that's why you hear Owen making statements like this, like how can God be the word and be the son and be his own father? Like, so that's a that's a that's showing that that Owen doesn't even quite understand where Jim Bob's arguments coming from before they came to this debate, um, which is, you know, it happens. You know, I'm not really faulting either one of them for it, but but again, this is where man, it would just been so easy to just go ahead and throw up a a nice quick definition for everyone to use of like what is God? What does the Bible actually define as God? Like, are we talking about false gods, like little g gods? Are we talking about? The Son of God, who has given all authority in heaven and earth, but is never greater in authority than his Father? Are we talking about angels, who are considered rulers also, little g-gods, but they're never greater than Yeshua, and they're never greater than the Father, and we don't worship them, right? So, you know, just, it would have been so nice if if every Trinitarian debate starts off defining these most basic terms. And at that point, we will know he has been defeated. Because unlike that fly that he's used to trapping in his web of poorly drawn cartoons and sarcastic tirades, a bear will never fall to the cobwebs of a sophist's pen. Okay, I'm not condemning... All right, the Orthodox Church could not stop Greece from plunging into the pit of sodomy and low-quality olive oil. The Orthodox Church could not stop Russia from diving headfirst into an atheist dystopia simply because one man with a large nose wrote a manifesto. I'm not condemning them to hell, however, because unlike them, I don't believe magic words and verbal declarations is what God judges us on. It is our hearts and our intention. There is no magic. I agree, I agree with Owen. I mean, the, the thief on the cross didn't make a declaration of the Trinity or some, he didn't repeat Romans 10, 9, and 10. He didn't do an altar call with a Presbyterian or a Baptist preacher. Like he just said, we remember when you come into your kingdom, you know, I deserve to be up here. And Yeshua said, yes, the judge the judge, the Son of God, whom the Father gave the authority to the Son to judge, John chapter 5, that guy, that judge, looked at this man dying on the cross next to him without any declaration of proper theology and said, yeah, you're going to have eternal life in the kingdom. Like that's, yeah. So, I mean, I agree with Owen on that point. This is why I, I also do not like how uh, both Orthodox and Western Roman Catholic Church tradition and history has led into Protestant seminary. They, Protestants teach like 99% the same things as, as Orthodox and Catholics. And so that tradition has led into this air of superiority of saying, if you don't repeat what I say, whether you understand it or not, and whether it matches the contextual use of these terms in the scriptures or not, then you're not of the faith and you're not in. I mean, that's just 
a stumbling block that Yeshua warned about. And this is, I think it's not something that we should be doing to any believer. Magic ring to kiss or scroll to chant, no magic hat or enchanted idol. Just our heart and our love and our submission to God, how we are judged and who of us are truly walking the path is not for us to know. But what I do know is the doctrine of the Trinity deviates from the command of God and, the contra and is contra contrary to the word of Jesus. This leads to psychological, systemic, and spiritual tyranny. And a criticism of the uh, Trinity doctrine or the Romans who invented it is not an attack on Christ in any way. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for that opening statement. Left with two minutes on the clock. Very I have good, more. Can I, get, can I get those two minutes? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Take take your two the minutes. benefits of being from a town riddled. <laughs> I didn't understand that part. He was like, I'm done. Thank you. Oh, wait. I got more? Okay. I've got more to read. I'm like, wait a minute. Did he prepare like a whole nother thousand words? It was, it was so odd that he was just like, oh, 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 fine. Hey, I got more time. I have this this entire extra five paragraphs I can read. With ped pedophiles is I can tell you when you're being molested. If an old man in a dress wearing a hat wants you to kiss his hand so you can feel the presence of Jesus, you're being molested. Uh, the Orthodox will forget to mention that their religious institutions were the first to topple to atheism and communism in the 20th century. They will go on to blame the tiny ethnic minority for their society's downfalls that James happens to descend directly from and avoid accepting any responsibility for their plunge into the communist abyss. As their countries labored in gulags, America, with its history of promoting a personal connection with God and the word of Christ. Okay, so again, he's, he, it's very wordy. There's, he's trying to put humor in it. Um, but I think he's kind of attacking the Orthodox history and tradition and faith at this point with their different experiences, different countries are throughout time. And uh, the animosity that was created in, in the, like from the third century to the 10th century between um, um, Orthodox Orthodox believers and Jewish people, because both sides were at enmity with each other and being at odds with each other. And before any version of Christianity was accepted and there was mass persecution happening from the first to the third century, um, you had both the Romans, the pagans, the, the, the heathen, you know, Babylonian false God worshipers of every nation, as well as the Jewish people who did not let Christians in the synagogues. So the Christians were like, they didn't have as much it's my understanding they didn't have as much access um, to some of the some of the Old Testament. This is why a lot of the theology was based off New Testament misunderstandings. This is why they started taking metaphors and similes and allegories from the New Testament and building theology that the Old Testament doesn't support and that Jesus' words didn't even support. Um, and then they started creating and formalizing and carterizing their own, you know, bishops and their own groups and clubs. And then here you go. There's there's argument and there's tension between people that believed in, you know, um, Jesus not being the almighty God and not sharing this divine essence and all that stuff versus the, what we now call Trinitarians. And they kind of clashed at Nicene, uh, the Nicene council and the Trinitarians went out and burned a lot of the information about the early church fathers that, that opposed that theory. And so it's become the dominant idea amongst Orthodox and Roman Western Catholic churches. And there are a lot of people waking up in the past several several decades, I should say, maybe, to the idea that we've been taught a lot of stuff through tradition that's not in the scriptures, and that's not helpful to anybody. In fact, it's creating shallow ground for new age, modern deception, statism, and a whole bunch of isms to come in and swoop up the shallow ground, the ungrounded, unrooted Christians 
um, who are what we jokingly call like Christians in name only, like kinos. And it, that, this fa- that perfect breeding ground for kinos, right, who don't understand the roots of their faith, don't understand what discipleship truly is, which is the behavior of Jesus, and they're just part of a social club. And of course, the next wave of whatever ism that's being forced on the society by the powers that be is going to just scrape off a whole bunch of shallow Christians and pull them away from the faith. And we see that happening in mass in the last 20, 30 years. So this is why all this infighting amongst believers is not good. All this air of superiority that, oh, I've, if you don't repeat my mantra, you're not in the faith, which ostracizes good-hearted believers who just wanted to know how to be like Jesus and disciple after him, that, you know, all this is unproductive. I had no problem with the 20th century's red menace. We sidestepped it with the ease that James is known to sidestep a bath for a much-needed brushing of his filthy teeth. <clears throat> That's it. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, I appreciate very much the opening statements for you. Those of you out in chat land, remember to thumbs up this broadcast. It really helps in the algorithm. Uh, before we open the floor up, make sure that you send in those super chats. We will be getting to them all. We talked to Owen a little bit beforehand. Uh, we're trying to get to as many of them as we possibly can. First come, first serve. Gentlemen, I'm going to allow the debate to go for now. Open for about an hour and 15 minutes. The floor is open. Go ahead. Okay, well, thanks for that opening. I should have had a, uh, I should have had like a little, let's get ready to rumble. That guy, that that announcer guy, should have had him queued up, but I don't. Um, I didn't hear an argument in the open. I heard a couple straw mans. Um, there were some claims about knowledge of uh, salvation. Um, uh, again, today I'm not actually defending uh, the Orthodox Church or speaking on behalf of the Orthodox Church, rather than making logical arguments. Uh, for the necessity of the, the triune Godhead uh, for um, for our participation in the world. Not only that, but our p- participation in God, God's pursuits and wills. And so from that, I mean, it just sounded like a really long Yelp review. It was a good Yelp review. It was, fu- it was like a funny thing to read, but I didn't hear any arguments themselves. Um, and so the question... that That was the problem with having a very smart layered comedy opening with your arguments blended in because yeah that you had to listen carefully for them and so he did make them but you had to listen carefully for them and ignore all the <laughs> all the personal attacks and jokes on your faith and your hygiene for me is if you take a unitarian position are you taking a christian unitarian position or an islamic uh the allah position are we going back and forth right now yeah yeah, the floor's oh. open. Yep, you can get oh, cut I mean, in whenever you this want. Is, you just say that this is straw man, but I gave like eight logical arguments. You, <laughs> like, didn't, you didn't present an argument, though. You presented a lot of rhetoric. Um, and it's a joy. No, no, it's not. You Give guys me one argument. Jim Give Bob, me one argument. I'm answering. You called it a Yelp review. One okay. argument. Given Jesus is God. Given Jesus is the son of God. Therefore, Jesus is his own father. That's logically retarded. That's not, that's a straw man. I don't believe that. So that you're actually just knocking well, down well, a fault. Jesus said the father is greater than I. That means he's greater than himself. And you think when, that's logical. No, when Jesus speaks and does, he's fulfilling the father. So he, so this, this idea that he is the no, father. No, answer the question, James. I just, I just said, I t- just no, no, you. I just said. Jesus, Jesus isn't the father. The father is greater than I. How could that be said by God? If he is. So when when it says that 
that only God, only the Father knows the time, not even Jesus. Do you think Jesus is keeping secrets from himself? Who's in, how do we interpret scripture, Owen? Personally, I get so, to interpret. Sola Scriptura. So the same as uh, all the Protestants you make fun of, you come to your own personal conclusions based on just reading it alone, no context? Sorry, guys, I was on mute. Okay, we're back. Sorry. So um, what, uh, what, what Jim Bob is going to be, what we're about to witness here, all right, is Owen's going to ask a straightforward logical question. Jim Bob's going to, instead of just quickly giving him a straightforward return or reply, he, has, he feels as if he sees the, the foundational underpinning of the question how it's wrong, and he's going to try to address that first before he gets to the straightforward answer. Unfortunately, Owen doesn't have the patience for that. And then the conversation starts to break down. I personally have even done this before on my own, uh, on my own channel with, with multiple uh, conversations and also in debates to where you, you're, you realize like when they make a statement or ask a question to challenge your position, you realize like, man, that your question itself just reveals massive misunderstanding of my point of view. And so you try to bring them to your point of view by addressing the fundamental misunderstanding versus just answering their question directly and then and then seeing if you can get to that fundamental misunderstanding. And so that the um, that tactic didn't work well for me. Um, and so I, I believe it didn't work well for Jim Bob in this in this uh, debate either. And so, but I just want to let you know to be aware of what you're about to witness, okay? It's not like Jim Bob can't answer the questions. He does sprinkle in his actual belief. And I just don't think he did well with these, the actual interaction with the personality that he was having to debate, um, my, my opinion. Oh, you mean the guy in the robe that he kissed his hand? What's you your, if you're, his hand. if you're in, hold on. If you're uncertain of, a, of a, the interpretation of a scripture, what, who do you go to? If you're uncertain, what are people that I think make sense and are logical? Uh, so how do you know just because you think they make Why sense? Why can't you answer the question though? Because you're appealing to hermeneutics. Because it's important. Because appealing to hermetics. Hermeneutics, which is the hermeneutics. Yeah. Okay, James, speak clearly. This is retarded. It is clear. Everyone knows what hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Is. Everyone knows what hermeneutics is on my channel. Okay. This, okay. this will be so educational for hermeneutics. the chat. Got it. Yeah, you're when you refer to a scripture, you're assuming. Hey, thank you, Matthew Byers, for the super chat. I appreciate you. That's uh, that's kind of you, brother. The interpretation is already known, right? So I'm reacting to your interpretation, right? Right, which is truthful in logic, though. You're not being truthful. Where does where Someone does scripture? I'm here on the behalf. I'm here to do my father's bidding. How does that mean it's okay. him? Okay, hold on. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became, who's the word in your paradigm? Oh, wait, sorry, guys. I missed a whole bunch of on the counter just then. <laughs> All right, there we go. That was John. I'm quoting Jesus Christ. Who, who is the word? Is Jesus Christ the word? He represented the word of God. He was doing the, he was here on behalf of so the of word father in heaven. The so the word. word was God. According to John. Not okay. Hang on, Jim Bob, Jim Bob, too. Let him, let him finish his answer. Jesus said he was answers. not his own father. Okay, and then where do you get scripture from? What, do you have the, what's the right Bible? What's the special one? No, I'm saying if you appeal to scripture for the truth of God, I'm asking where does scripture come from? Where does scripture come from? Uh, it definitely doesn't come from different councils over time that argued which books would go in. 
<laughs> it definitely doesn't come from um, two Anglican priests in the 1800s that decided, oh, we're going to remove 14 books out of the current collection we have and then tell everybody there's only 66 books in the Bible for the next 140 years, which is the current reality we're living in today. Definitely doesn't come from that, right? So revelation from God passed down through his angels, literally Hebrews 1.14, that's the point of them ministering. Um, revelation from God passing down his word to his, his angels is usually the first recourse. Other times, prophets or priests have visions, uh, which some, many times is facilitated by angels as well. And then that becomes something they write down and teach to the people. So this is the idea of, of how revelation, the, the physical process of how revelation comes from the Almighty in heaven above down to men on the earth to practice and follow. And I definitely think that that the uh, Christians had had it, have been at a mass disadvantage to people that claim to be in authority, like Owen talks about, people that want to be in a robe and uh, shake some incense around and claim to be in authority and say, oh, the books that we compiled are the only ones that you should read. Is, you know, And you're like, okay, well, what happens to the other books that the, the Ethiopians included that you didn't? What happens over here when you decide to take books out that you had previously accepted for over a thousand years? So w at what point? No. Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, wonderful litmus tests for a prophet who's validated by God, and if his words line up with what the consistent message of the pro that was given to the prophets by God, and that can be attested. And so this is where I think, uh, this is why we do a whole show on our other channel, Kingdom in Context. We do a whole show called Honor of Kings, where we, we go over books that either didn't make the most popular uh, first world canons, or we go over books that used to be in a canon, were pulled out, and we look at their theology and line it up and see what's what. The Bible. No, the Bible needs a source, right? <laughs> the Bible didn't just grow on a tree, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So where did it come from? Why don't you answer any of my questions, James? Because you're begging the question in your question. You're, you're appealing you're to the Bible. Gee, okay, do you think Jesus was God when he was a baby pooping in a diaper? What's did he grow what you, into God? At what point did he become God? Do you think he pooped in a diaper? Uh, fully human people, uh, even if they're fully God, uh, yeah, they would have. All right. So there's someone live chat saying, well, the Orthodox consider books that aren't canon. The fact that we're using the word canon is a problem. The fact that there was a group of men that got together and said, we're going to take this collection of book and make it a canon. Everything else is excluded is not the holy inspired scripture and word of God. Or the fact that in the 1500s, the Catholic Church decided to take 14 books and call them deuterocanonical and say there's lesser importance and lesser weight to the words in those books than in the rest of these books, which is nonsense. Because one of the ones they put in there was Second Ezra and Baruch. Are you kidding me? Baruch literally wrote Jeremiah, the, the priest and scribe of Jeremiah. Massive visions of God to Jeremiah to explain the destruction of the temple, to explain why things were happening <laughs> Ezra, the high priest of Israel in the 6th century, literally responsible for the entirety of the scriptures that we do have today because he and some other scribes repinned them for us upon the instruction and direction of God through an angel. So, like, they called those books less important. So, no, I don't believe that the word canon holds any weight in my faith and should not hold any weight for anyone that seriously studies how we got our Bible. Again, because some men that disagree on which books should be let in, and there's a council, so that means, you know, four to five or five to four, whoever wins out in the council, those books get put in while others get left aside or others get deemed less important. That's nonsense. That's doctrines of men. That whole concept has nothing to do with actual revelation from God that we can test and prove in our life. Okay? 
just just uh, the way we view things here at the Brave Believer. Things of human nature. So God pooped in a diaper. That's not God, an argument. God is tempted by the devil. No, no. What I think is going on here is we have different gods, and that's okay. How did you? How do you know your God if you're appealing to Scripture? Well, okay, your God poops in a diaper and gets tempted by the devil and gets killed, right? That's your God, right? How do you know who God is, Owen? Uh, it's I. Last comment to Nero Jack. Um, it's not my own. It's it's literally the test that you sh- that Yahweh, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Almighty, gave us in His Word. Um, if you believe in a canon, you're literally allowing someone else's discernment to determine what's the scriptures and the word of God for you, instead of what the scriptures give you as a litmus test for what lines up with God's word. So it's very interesting how you, you accuse people of actually what you've already assumed and done to, to people that you, you allow to be authority over you who don't earn that authority. People that are not truly priests ordained by God. Now we don't believe in apostolic secession here either. I choose who I believe God to be based Our, on revelation in my life and scripture. Revelation. Who? How did revelation occur? Through what Why can't you answer any of these questions? Is this how I, it's going to be? This is I'm called a cross-examination. A cross-examination? You're not answering any of my questions. You're well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's back up. Let's back up. Hang on, guys. Calm down. Uh, Owen, Start with your your at your pointed question, and Jim Bob, let's start with that. Keep it as fair as we okay, possibly I'll put it this can. Way. Jim Bob, I'll put it this way. I'm looking for a coherent story, okay? You want your religion to be coherent, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so how can someone be his own father? I'm not going to go into... With respect to Jim Bob, I, this is why I'm doing this review, because if I had a chance to sit down with Ellen and answer that question, I'll give you a very coherent story in 60 seconds. Here we go. Scripture, at least the ones that we have and today recorded to us, no point at any time directly tells us if the Father was ever produced from the Son. It does tell us the Father and Son did exist before the world began. Trinitarians assume the Son has always existed. They think it's essential to understand the Bible. It's not. It's never stated as a litmus test for understanding Scripture or Revelation. The Father and the Son did exist before the world began. I personally believe the Father brought forth the Son at some point before the world began, that's why he's called the Almighty. That's why he never is ever equal with authority with the Son or anything else. He's always the Almighty. The Son was predestined before the world was created to actually become the Messiah, the high priest of mankind of whom he could have the authority to forgive our sins and resurrect us to eternal life and bring us into the kingdom of God, which is the new Jerusalem that descends through the firmament down to the earth between the Euphrates and now the land promised Abraham and re-expounded throughout all the covenants throughout all of time which is the inheritance of the believers, Isaiah 54, 17. Yeshua was given a position of rulership, king of heaven and earth, because of what he suffered and accomplished with his obedience, even obedience unto death on the cross. This is expounded upon Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. He's also made a high priest of Israel. That gives him the legal authority through the law of God to forgive and atone for your sin. That's why Hebrews 8 says he's ministering in the heavenly tabernacle above. And then on Revelation 3, 5, and, and John, uh, I think it's... Uh, I can't remember what passage and actually in John, John, John 5, 41, I believe it says that he is the one that is responsible for raising you to eternal life on the last day, which is the day, the seventh trumpet of revelation. It's called the day of the Lord. It's the day that Yeshua with a bunch of warrior angels come down and route out all the grabblers and all the unclean spirits and Ra, who's also called Azazel, the old Testament, as well as the first and second beast and all the kings of the earth that have aligned with them, and they all get destroyed, some thrown in the lake of fire, some killed, and then there's peace on the earth when the kingdom comes down, and that starts the millennial reign. 
So then you have the Father and Son, Ezekiel 37 and Revelation 21, 22, both inside the kingdom of God, as well as all the resurrected saints who took part in that last day resurrection. They're living inside the glorious, wonderful 1,500 square mile, 1,500 mile tall kingdom of God. That is the central focal point of the entire plane of the earth, which all nations will then be drawn to for food, refuge, medicine, and water. And within that, there'll be peace on the earth. They'll learn Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. They'll learn the behavior of the Almighty and his son, which is called the law of God, and they'll walk in peace with one another. So, I don't know if, if uh, someone like Owen will ever watch this kind of show, but if you ever do, I'll try to give it to you, you know, as, as quickly as possible. That's the coherent story front to back. So in that story, at no point in any point is the son equal to the father in authority. Who cares if he existed for all eternity before the world was made? That, that has no bearing on the story. That's the red herring. That's the distraction the Trinitarian argument brings up. What's important is the son was chosen to become high priest of a man. Hebrews 5, a high priest is chosen from amongst his brethren. So this is why he can be, because of what he was obedient unto death, he, and he was not, there's no hypostatic union that's, taught, that's preached in the Bible. He was 100% man while in the flesh. But once he's resurrected, he's then glorified. He's become the first of many brethren, which is the promise of the covenant. It's a glorified body. It's, it's Romans 8, 29. It's, it's also Romans 8, 11 through 19. He's quickened. He's glorified. He's get this wonderful, like Yeshua tells us in Luke 20, 36. He gets the promise of the covenant, which is to get into body like an angel. So this is that ontology that was not defined earlier that 1 Corinthians 15 does define for us. And by the way, Paul is an actual approved apostle of God. He's not considered a prophet, and he does not teach against the law of God. You just have to know the law of God really, really well to know what he's talking about. This is why Paul does not teach a trinity. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, uh, he says there's one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, in a lot of his openings and closings of his letters, he teaches very clearly God's the Father and Jesus is the Son. They're not equal in authority because the Son ministers to the Father in his priesthood. This is what a priest does, right? He takes, on behalf of the sins of the people, he comes forward with a covenant meal to make the Father happy. That's 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 John 1.9, a whole bunch of other places. So we're also told very clearly that the whole purpose of the Son was to come and be our high priest. First Psalm, Psalm 110, 1-4, Zechariah 6, 11-15, Isaiah 53, almost the whole chapter, but mostly 6-12. He is the one who bears the sins of the many. He is the one who justifies the many and makes atonement for their transgression. He does that through a process in his priesthood, and then at the appointed time, he's been given the power by the Father to actually raise all the believers from the dead, those he deems worthy of eternal life. That's why he's the judge. He's the effectuator of the resurrection. He's the Son of God. And as 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 tells us, when everything's finished, He's going to hand any his authority that he was given back over to his father so that the father can be all in all. And I'm done. Thanks for your patience, guys. Your interpretation no, that's saying not he's his own father. Jim, Bob, no one states claim, he's his own father. If you make the claim he is God and he's the son of God, therefore, that's basic logic. Given, given, no, therefore, he is his own father. Yes, it is, Jim no, Bob. I'm very disappointed if, in you. Owen, Owen, if... You know logic, Jim Bob. You if, know how logic works. Okay, let's do logic. Yeah. If yeah. God is three persons and one essence... You're making that claim. No, if. Okay, okay, if, okay. If God is three persons and one essence and they share, they have their own wills, but they share a will, but they're different persons because God would transcend one and many things. 
right? So he transcends one in many persons as well. So that's if not that's, hermit code, hold, on, hold on, hold oh, on. If it's using made up words, if it's true that God is three persons, does it follow that Christ as the second person is the Father? If okay, so if so, if, if God is three persons, is Jesus his own Father? No, that's retarded. Yeah, he wouldn't be. There would be three persons, right? So three persons are one person. No, three persons. Are you one... using the Black's Law definition of person like a corporation? No. no. A person's a corporation. You know here, that, right? Here, let me go in a different means. direction. Great. If the let's say there's, I, you didn't answer the question about do you take do you take the Christian Unitarian single father God or do you take the Allah approach? I just think that there's one God. You can call it, you can call him Allah, the Father of Jesus Christ. You can sophist like what you're doing right now, creating these words and oh, ism, ism, this, oh, it's Trina, Lizda, like mm -hmm. words that people, maybe your channel knows, but I'm a very intelligent person and I've never heard half of these. So Allah and Relax, Father God could be the same. Yet, Jim Bob. Yeah, let him finish. So let him finish. You can, and so someone can have an idea of the All Father, the One the creator of heaven and earth. And the creation is not him. He created it. He created time, space. Mm. I'm very aware that there's trinities all over creation. I'm very aware that there is past, present, future, you know, salt, oil, carbon. There is, you know, the triune nature of reality. Hey, run Boston bear. Thanks brother. I appreciate the super chat, man. Uh, Sean, thank you for bringing clarity across your channels, using scripture and context while yielding to the definitions of the words rather than your own interpretation. If anyone is new here, find the playlist Investigating Babylon in Series 42 and it shows the other channel. Um, yeah, man, I, I appreciate that, Rumbasta Bear. You're a blessing, brother. Thanks for the super chat. Yeah, like I'm a musician. You know I'm a musician. And the, uh, the, the three is the first stable chord, but then there's fours and fives and sixes. And every the two is also very important. The, the mother father child mother father god so in scripture the thing that's the the number that sticks out in scripture more than threes is sevens um i don't have the list but we've talked about it in other videos but like there's a, sevens in everything there's seven firmaments there's seven days in the week obviously the seventh is a sabbath the jubilees is, is a division division of seven uh the work jubilee the land jubilee is both divisions of sevens it's um shavuot sevens um, all types of sevens all throughout scripture in all kinds of ways. It's, it's wild how, how much seven comes into play. The, the candlestick and the, and the holy place, seven, seven flames. Um, so there's just a, there's a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of sevens everywhere that I think people should, oh, there's seven colors in the rainbow when there were seven times the word covenants used in the chapter that introduces the rainbow in Genesis nine. That's wild. Um, so if we're going into like some gematria and trying to find significance and numbers and all that stuff, three, three plays second fiddle to sevens, but we're not claiming God's a, a seven triune God. Remember the seven spirits of God in Isaiah 11 and Revelation one. So we're, those are the seven priests, the seven high priests of the archangels that are expounded up to us in first Enoch chapter 20. So like, like there's, there's all kinds of sevens. Three, three takes a back seat If we're going to play gematria, uh, there's triangles everywhere, but somebody had to make it. And you've done a great job in the past explaining that God is one and outside of time and space and created it. So saying that the, the table is the carpenter is uh, bullshit. And you can invent any word you want to make yourself elevated, but it doesn't work on me because my dad was a PhD who did all this. And it's a trick. And so if you say that the table is the carpenter, 
that's that's fake. And and I can point out how okay. ridiculous. Can I can I ask you something talk. though? If we're talking about God, and we're talking about the table and the carpenter. Do you see how that the way in which we're approaching knowledge of a table, which is in the external created world, right? And the, and the carpenter making that distinction wouldn't be the same method we would approach uh, God that you're like, reducing the why explanation. Would be, why, no, but you're the why one who brought up this topic. You brought up that there's a triune nature of reality itself. Therefore, that reflects the creator of reality itself. Mm -hmm. I just did a one for one metaphor with someone making a table. All right. And now you're just going to backpedal. And no, I, didn't gonna... say, I didn't say it's identical. I said it's reflective. It's reflective. So, so it's an, it can be analogous reflect... and not identical. The table could reflect the essence of the carpenter, his attention to detail, what kind of wood he likes. Well, you can't make that claim that the table is the carpenter. That isn't true. And you can create categories and say, do you like Allah or the Unitarian Christian? God? All this stuff doesn't does, matter. Does God transcend one and many things like he can God be reduced to a single particular or can reduced to a bunch of parts in your view? Can God be constrained by those things? Well, the original debate is, is Jesus God? And I think the answer is clearly no, no, that's unless you make the argument word. that everything is God because Jesus was obviously created by God. Okay. Right? Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let's stop. So this is the point in the conversation where that statement triggers a Trinitarian, okay? So Owen Benjamin saying it's, it's clear that Jesus was created by God. And I think Owen was talking about his days in the flesh when he was, you know, manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. Obviously, Matthew chapter 1, he's born of Mary in the womb, coming to the flesh. And, but I, from what I'm picking up from this, uh, Jim Bob runs immediately into, because they don't like hearing anything, they don't like hearing no matter what the context is, if you put these three words together, Jesus was created, that is like DEFCON 5 for Trinitarians. They'd never want to hear that ever, no matter the context, no matter if you're talking about the flesh or what. So I think this is where they're going to go further off the rails now and misunderstanding each other, because they're not going to define when Owen was referencing Jesus being in the flesh, or being created, I should say. Um, and ultimately, this is, I think Owen was arguing against the hypostatic union concept of him being 100% man, 100% God at the same time. And again, they're not going to define deity. They're not going to define divinity. They're not going to define um, transcending all things. I've got to be honest, the, the Jim Bob's argument about transcending all things becomes very vague the more he uses it uh, and tries to find examples to apply it, um, which it doesn't help for, you know, clarity with, uh, with Owen. And then it ultimately just boils down into like the simplest of things. Like if they would, all of this could be just clearly cleared up if they would just start defining their terms. But um, no one does. Is that obvious? Where did you get that uh, God created Jesus? You just said he pooped in a diaper. You think that that isn't a creation of God? <clears throat> like where do you think Jesus came from? So Jesus as a man, the flesh of man. So the lamb of God is what he's called. So you think mm -hmm. God is a lamb. Because what? your fundamental logical problem is you're saying, so all these things describing Jesus, you're now using to describe God. So if Jesus is the sacrifice, he is the lamb. He literal is the, lamb? What's that? Are you saying God, the claim that God is I'm the lamb is literal? I'm not claiming God's a lamb. You are. You claim God is singular, right? So, you're, so is Jesus, uh, was he sacrificed? Was he uh, persecuted? Was Did he bleed? Did he suffer? Mm -hmm. did, did man kill him? 
Do you think that that can happen to God? Like kill? kill what, God? what does it mean to die, Owen? What does it mean to die? Yeah. Uh, you die. You die. I don't know. So you separate from your flesh or you die or gone? I think that you separate, separate from your flesh. Okay. but you So you don't die. You, the being, right? Just your flesh is separated from the material world? Yeah. So God cool. didn't die then. He was separated from the from his flesh. Uh, his fully his humanity died, right? And so, that's a fulfillment, right? So and that's his a body sin. died on the cross, but he didn't die. But isn't that the truth for everybody? Okay, I'll ask you a question. Did Jesus have a soul? Yeah, I thought that was a good point. You know, if you're trying to make the argument because Jesus' flesh died and his soul didn't, therefore he somehow retained the nature of God. Um, because he wasn't birthed of, of Joseph, but he was birthed by the Holy Spirit through Mary. And and whereas most people that don't agree with the Trinity will argue, well, hey, now, like, God, James says this guy can't be tempted, but we also see in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 that Yeshua was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. I mean, it's literally Matthew 4 and Luke 4, the temptations of Christ. Like, I mean, and so God cannot be tempted by evil, but a man in the flesh who needs to learn obedience, as explained to us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, this is, he learned, even though he was a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. So that means there's temptation involved, just as seven chapters, seven verses earlier in Hebrews, it, it tells you he was tempted in every way like man, but yet was without sin. So this is the differentiation, right? They're still not talking, they're talking past each other. There's Jim Bob's still trying to make a case for the ontology, being of this essence, and Owen's just in a very simple way, same way I'm talking about while he was in the flesh. Like he's, he was a man of the flesh. He's not literally a lamb. He's not a metaphor. He's not, he's not God at that moment. He was in the flesh. Um, and this is where I think neither one of them understand the actual resurrection. And in Jim Bob, if you're still watching and if you, and if, and if I've misunderstood you, I don't want to misrepresent you, but boy, this would have been a great opportunity for you to explain the concept of the resurrection. The idea that men of flesh get glorified and become of a spiritual flesh, as 1 Corinthians 15 explains to us. We become like the bodies of angels at the resurrection. Therefore, we can exist in God's house, walk up to Yahweh, the Almighty, face to face, where we can't do that now in the flesh. So it'd have been a wonderful opportunity if you did understand the resurrection to explain that to him, because this is an, a huge sticking point. What I could glean from his, from Owen's arguments, which is, he doesn't understand the process of why we would refer to Yeshua now as part of the Godhead or uh, deified or glorified or divine in his nature now. But, and I, and of course, I don't, I'm not sure, I can't remember if Jim Bob makes an argument for hypostatic nature. But ultimately, like this, this is what I've seen in, in a lot of these arguments and what I've experienced personally in a lot of these discussions is that Trinitarians do not define or understand the resurrection as well as other concepts. And it's all semantics gets jumbled up, mushed around, word salad put together. Not not word salad, it's not fair. They make coherent arguments with their undefined words within their framework. But from someone outside of it who feels like that framework's illogical and aren't getting the words defined and doesn't understand core themes of the scriptures, like the difference in two types of flesh that Paul explains to us, the spiritual or the earthy. So if they don't understand that, both people in the argument are not going to know the difference between why Yeshua is not a God in the flesh versus how he can be glorified and be considered God and called God after the resurrection and be a ruler under the authority of the Almighty. So hopefully that's bringing some, for everyone watching, trying to discern between the two sides, hopefully that's helping you with a little bit of clarity. A soul 
Jesus yeah. is God, so he's a source of all soul. So uh, it's yeah, not a, it's not a, no I have a soul, right? So my, my paradigm is that if God is tri, triune and there's three persons, that, uh, that is the source of all things, which is why I keep uh, going to your position, which is Unitarianism. Like you believe love. You stop doing isms. Unitarianism uh, is an actual word. You're I'm like saying words are bullshit. I don't even know what that means. That means well, when is, Hang on, hang on. Let me bring a little clarity. <clears throat> so, so when we're talking in these terms, we say a Trinitarian, uh, talking a person who believes that there's three parts to the Godhead, and Unitarianism just means one part to the Godhead. So uh, that's why we kind of clarified it uh, pre-debate so that I knew kind of where you guys stood and if it's a necessity for Christianity itself. So when he's saying Unitarianism... That's all he's referencing. The one God, okay, single so Unitarianism person. just means you believe there's one God. One person, one God. One God. Yes. Person but, is a corporation. No. Okay. All right. So what is what, Jim Bob? That's what per person means. Right. So. Okay. Well, could we could we Let's clarify the language to mean then like maybe entity or entity. individual Let's say entity. being something like this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that way we're if, not that way we're not. My brother Andrew is about, what are we at? About 40 minutes too late on clarifying the language. <laughs> I hung up on just the, and, the grammar. You believe this one God is eternal, right? Yes. And is he the standard of things like love? Like, yes or no? Can you answer a simple question? for love. Yes or no? No, that, that isn't a yes or no question. That doesn't make any sense. Is God the me. basis of love? How we act out love in the world? We act out love because of God? No, the standard, not because. We could refuse to act out love, right? People can be maniacal and, and deceptive and go against God. I'm asking, is God, your God, the standard of love? I, I'm going to need time to think about that because I don't understand what that means. So I, is love absolute? Is love from God? I think love, I think everything is from God. I think all so love, love is hate, from God. Everything's from God. Okay, I think great. God created this entire thing. Okay. Is love uh, something you participate okay, in? Okay. What is love? Describe love. I want to know what love is. This is, is your song. Is this I want to know what love is. Dodging. You're, you're actually. No, I want to know what love is, Jim Bob. Describe it. You're, you're using words and you're not defining them. So if I want to ask for clarity, please clarify love. what is love. Love is uh, the uncreated eternal energy of God. One of them. There's also compassion. And truth. So how I feel about cookies is God. How you feel? No, I didn't say feeling. Okay, so love is. Do you love your wife? One more time about you love. love your wife. Do right? I love my wife? Rhetorical. Is love a participation between people? Sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, 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 so that I, so I, if I that needs to be love. okay, if that needs to come from God and be grounded in God, and if God, in your view, is singular and eternal, He only has Himself to love. Which I'm not surprised you follow a God like that. But hmm. it doesn't have a grounding for person-to-person -person relations. Okay. It only has a grounding for self-love. Uh, false equivocation. Um, to say that God could possibly exist at any point in all of eternity before he brought forth his son, whom that's the reason we use these terms, father and son, because no one in all of existence and all of history, no, no one ever defines father and son to be co-equal in authority or existing at the same time. That's that we would have to call them something else. We would call them my two dads. We would never call them father and son if that was the case. So therefore the idea that Jim Bob is trying to um, philosophically cut out of Owen's argument is the idea that 
which honestly, I don't even know if Owen has really made this argument. But this is a common Unitarian argument that, that Jim Bob's addressing, which is the idea that if God existed at some point before the Son, then they think that's impossible because God is love, John, 1 John 3. And so they think, well, because God is love, it has to be a verb. It has to be a verb at all times. So that character trait that God can love and be the ultimate definition of love in their view, they think it must equal he had someone there to love. Versus, well, maybe he created people to love. And everything under his authority he created to love with the condition they prove it. To whom much is given, much is expected. So this is why Deuteronomy 8.2 is a wonderful example of God directly telling, directly telling Israel, I brought you in the wilderness 40 years to test you to see if it's in your heart to keep my commandments. What are the commandments? Psalm 119, verse 1 through 3, they're literally the moral behavior of Yahweh. What does Paul explain to us that the commandments are? It's the fulfillment of love. It's if we love, that's the fulfillment of the law. Right? If we if 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 we keep the commandments, John 15, if 8 through 11, if we keep the commandments Jesus taught us, as he kept his father's commandments, our joy will be full and our and will be complete. If we want to walk in love and love God, 1 John 2, uh, 3 through 6, then we walk in the commandments. So the same God of love expressed how you exemplify that love through obeying his commandments. And he literally said, I want to test mankind to see if they love me. This is why Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is the general admonition to all of mankind that they keep his commandments and fear God. So even the Son was given this um, test, like I've, I've repeated multiple times tonight, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, the son learned obedience by what he suffered. Why would he have to do that if he never had to prove his love to the father? Because he was always existing with the father was never created. Everything the father creates, he gives a test. Do you truly love me or not? Because yes, God is love. He wants to love people. He has the ultimate capacity of love. He is the standard of love. But it, it doesn't want, that is not a one plus one. It doesn't compute just because that's his character trait that there must have always been eternally someone to love. And in fact, the very concept that he sent his son to be tested on earth and be obedient to the Father and glorify the Father is proof to me that the son wasn't always created. Because he's treating the Son like he does everything else in creation. All angels are tested to love God and obey the commandments. Some of them rebelled in the days of Jared. One of them still rebelling. He's not locked in Tartarus. His name's Azazel, commonly called the dragon or Satan, roaming around seeking who we may devour. All of mankind is tested. Will you love him? Will you walk in his ways and practice his ways? And if you do, he's going to give you his ways permanently on your resurrected heart. And so you can live in his house with him, and he knows at that point you love him, or you wanted to love him, and he gave you the ability to permanently love him. That means keep his commandments without fail. As Ezekiel chapter 36 sprinkles your heart clean so that you obey his statutes and commandments. The very fact that Yeshua is made to come to the earth and take on the role of the Messiah, which required obedience and testing, in my understanding, is proof positive that he's not eternally created, that he's not eternally begotten, which is an oxymoron. 
At some point, the Father brought him forth, before day one of creation. At some point, the Father brought him forth. And since to whom much is given, much is expected, to the Son was given everything, by whom, through whom, and for whom all things are made. He's the one that was king of heaven. Then he dethroned, came to the earth in the body of a flesh, which Paul calls the actual mystery, the mystery of godliness. And while in the flesh, he was without sin. He had perfect divine character. And then glorified at his resurrection. So now he's given all authority in heaven and earth. So then he has, he's, he's been trusted to be obedient and to be the ultimate right arm of the Almighty. So personally to me, the very fact that the, the, you know, the eternal, quote-unquote, eternal begotten nature of the Son is not expressed in Scripture, it's isogetically assumed, is negated by the very fact that he had to also prove he could be obedient to the Father, even under strenuous conditions like mankind has. Instead of being in a place of heaven where it's, it's not the same, like angels, there's not mass corruption, wickedness, unclean spirits, and Satan running around tempting people and trying to get them to, to not obey the commandments. So, yeah. Sorry, guys. This kind of stuff just, it breaks my heart, man. It breaks my heart how little Christians know about their own faith. Like, they read the Bible to memorize little little passages for gotcha moments and arguments as opposed to like reading it to understanding it. And and here you got a guy like Owen that's like truly trying to understand it. And he, you know, I'm I'm not truly faulting Jim Bob or you know, but it's like apparently Owen's been running into a lot of people that just don't understand it and can't coherently explain the story to him. And they just keep using these semantics, these traditional phrases that have been passed down over time, and, and they don't make sense to a lot of people. Owen just has the courage to speak up and say, I don't, I don't think that makes any sense. What? How does that? What is if, that? Okay, if God yeah. is, you, is you, like uniquely one and is the grounding for all things, including love, and love is a participatory action between people, then the eternal God who's alone in the world, in the universe before creation— his only standard of love is loving himself because there's nothing else to love. Like love, is creation. love is created, so it's not eternal. No, he can love us. I think God loves me. The standard for love is yeah, well, hang on, hang creation. on. Again, let me try no, let me try for clear. I'll try for clarification again. He's he's saying I, so just to make sure I got your position simplified, Jim Bob. You're you're asking before everything was ever created on on earth in heaven everywhere if god was a singular participant and still existed then love would only be him loving him so there was nothing else to love in other words <laughs> that doesn't nullify the fact that he has the propensity to love that it's part of his nature to want to be loving and not evil that it, it's just a it's a false equivocation it's correct is that correct yep okay okay and then the only route to go is either why accept- is jesus being god the only way to justify God loving his creation. The, the only justification of grounding love in God is multiplicity and unity because you need no, persons not. to establish the standard of love because love is acted out as a participatory action in the world. So this is what you would call a philosophical argument, okay? Um, even though Jim Bob uh, is stated even in our live chat tonight that he didn't want to make this about scripture, that's you just handcuffed your brain, my brother. Why would you ever engage in a 
a discussion about the ontology of the creator and his son without using their own words given to us through the prophets. Like we don't need, like this isn't, I think this is a longstanding problematic tradition that carried over from a lot of new believers being made in the second and third century in the area of the Middle East, specifically going into Rome and Great, and Great Britain, which used to be called, um, what did it used to be called? France was called Lyons, Britain was called uh, Britannica, but it was called something else before that. Um, but the, the mass explosion of new converts throughout the Middle East and Europe and were becoming filled with philosophers. So, I mean, you, you see it in the writings of, you know, second to fourth, fourth and fifth century early church fathers. Tons of philosophy. And many times they twist scripture, blatantly twist scripture to, to arrive at their philosophical conclusion. And with all respect to the participants in this, this tonight, I feel like that's happened a lot tonight because they don't know the scriptures well enough to just give you the detailed story in a clear-cut fashion. So they all resort to anecdotal philosophical scenarios and situations to try to make sense of it. This is where we get in trouble. This is why we have to refresh our minds with the washing of the water of the word of God, as Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5. So, so the act of love uh, could be an action, but the basis of love, the standard, needs to pre-exist and be eternal. If you go down the route of love is a creation— now the grounding for love is temporal and can wither away because creation is temporal, not eternal. Do you, can you? Okay, that not, that's not true either because literally the angels are called immortal. They're eternal. Uh, the heavens and the earth are called eternal. Um, the resurrected glorified saints, uh, they're going to be eternal. That's John three sixteen. So there's a, another logical assumption fallacy there. Admit that you may be wrong. That, that doesn't address... The, the logical no, no, no. It's a yes or no question. Could you possibly be wrong about, about this? About what? About the fact that Jesus is God. Could you maybe be wrong? And do you find it at all confusing? No, because I see you it. You can't as, be wrong and you don't find it confusing. I don't find it confusing. And I think it's uh, the logical. It's like saying, can you be wrong about the laws of logic? You need to appear. You're not to the following logic. the laws of logic because Jesus Christ said that uh, the Father is greater than I. Logically, that doesn't make any sense if he is his own father. Again, now I'll give you I'll give you your argument. So there's three persons all operating in essence, just like you're a father, a son, and a brother. I, I get all that. I've heard this a thousand times. It doesn't actually make sense. Okay, so if you say the my father is greater than I, it does not mean I'm my father. And many times, so who did Jesus? And, and for everyone listening out there that engages in these conversations with Trinitarians, and this is why I. You know, I agree with Owen that it doesn't actually make sense, but that's, I would say that's not the best um, approach to take. I think Owen's just frustrated in this conversation, but in every other scenario, I personally have found it much more advantageous to not go into the idea of subjective, subjective idea of what's logical or what makes common sense, because to each person that's not consistent, right? It's, it's, it's subjective. Stick with the scriptures. <laughs> this is why earlier you heard me say, don't fall into the trap of debating the eternal nature of the Son. Stick with the Scriptures. No point ever is the Son stated in Scripture. He is never stated as equal in authority to the Father. This is why this Father is called the Almighty. Never the Son. The Father is called the Almighty. And we have multiple passages that tell us 
that they, yes, they both can be referred to as rulers, as God. They have different places in the hierarchy of authority. The Almighty is always the Almighty, 1 Corinthians 15, 27, and 28. He's always, he's never, he never was not the Almighty. He was never equal with the Son at any point. He'll never be equal with the Son at any point in the future. You cannot have a high priest who's equal to the person he's mediating to. That negates the role of a high priest. Yeshua is our eternal high priest, eternal high priest. He will never be equal to the person to which he comes and brings a meal to, which is called mediation. Never. So when you engage in these Trinitarian arguments, what I found that works very effectively is to not fall into, because that's what the whole Nicene Creed was, the council mainly concluded and focused on, was the eternal nature of the Son. That's really all they cared about. The, the Holy Spirit was added like 100 years later. So that's why in most of these conversations, they rarely talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, in a few minutes, Owen's going to try to make jokes about it and say, do I pray to the ghost? It's pretty funny. But ultimately, the, the crux of this that destroys the arguments, the plainly worded scriptures, so don't fall back on your own logic, don't fall back on your own antidotes in life. I used to be a Trinitarian. I used to try to describe it as a computer right? But the father's the hard drive. The, the son's the monitor. He expresses the information from the hard drive perfectly for us. And the Holy Spirit is the power cord that makes it all happen. I found out my own personal anecdotes to try to describe this, but I was not actually abiding by the words plainly stated in the text. And this is where tradition clouds the minds of good-hearted believers and causes them to stop looking to the scripture for clarity and instead fall back on philosophy or their own personal subjective logic or common sense. Jesus prayed to in the garden. Who did Jesus beg to? Who did Jesus say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do? Who did Jesus, Je Jesus is fulfilling as a priest role. The Answer the question. I'm, changing, I'm Jesus, correcting your context. Was Jesus praying to himself? No. No, no he's doing, he's so reciting. He is not God. No, Owen, everything Jesus is doing in the context of the biblical... I love how you say that now. Is that a new hang thing? Hang on, hang on, Owen. Let him, let him finish his answer. Everything that, that he answer. does is the fulfillment of the Father. So when he recites Psalms, he's not asking God, oh, why have you forsaken me? He's actually reciting a previous scripture, right? He's actually reciting the fulfillment. Everything is a callback to the fulfillment, right? That's the connection. He's serving a role as a man right? To fulfill so he's God's will. He's man. So God he's, is a man. He's, he's man and God. Yeah. So he's man. Is the ghost also God? The Holy Ghost. Yeah. That's how you get so, revelation, by the way. So I was going to ask you, in a, so in a, a singular, in a singular, you, the uh, ghost is God. The how ghost do you get revelation? Owen, oh, how'd you get revelation of scripture? Um, nine times out of 10 angels. Let's say your relation of scripture. That's literally why they're created to become, talk to mankind, to be ministers to those who are going to inherit salvation. And one of the largest moments of revelation in the scriptures recorded at Mount Sinai, it's 2410, Elohim, that word Elohim, what's that word mean again? Gods, little g, little case gods, angels. And then we have that affirmed by the New Testament that there were angels on Mount Sinai giving the information to Moses, both through Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Galatians 3.19, and, uh, and Acts and, and Acts 7.30, and also verse 53. And... Even though this book wasn't put in the Roman Western canon, um, the entire book of Jubilees that was part of ancient Israel's scriptures found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls right next to Isaiah and Genesis and Enoch, the book of Jubilees literally tells you angels are the ones, the Elohim being mentioned in Exodus 24.10 that were on the mountain explaining 
which is what Paul tries to explain in Galatians 3.19, as he says, they ordained the, uh, the law to Moses. They explained it to him. That's what that word means in the Greek. They explained that, the law to Moses. And this is what the entire book of Jubilees is about. Ancient scripture from ancient Israel that modern traditional churches have overlooked that book. So it's, there's just so, it, the answers are in the scriptures, guys. This is why it's so heartbreaking to see two good-hearted believers um, who want to know the truth, and they're just, everyone's dealing with uh, half a deck of information, and so they just end up devolving into semantics and philosophy. No, I'm still getting past the fact. So the Holy Ghost. You keep Ghost, reciting scripture. You can, you can pray to the ghost, and that's just as good as God. So I can be like, hey, ghost, I'm really, thank you for everything. All, go, all comes to us through the Logos. All uh, we get to God through the Logos. There is a medium. There is a bridge between the heaven and creation. I agree we, with you. We need a bridge. So what's the bridge yes. if your God is um, out there the singular? The bridge is God. So the bridge is the two land masses. So if, the bridge uh, to God is God. That's what really, you're claiming, no, no, Jim, the, not me. No. Heaven, the ghost is the bridge, right? Is that what we're because don't no, use no the logos is the logos is the bridge. So the word is the bridge. He's yeah, the, the word is the word of Jesus. No, the word is a person, not scripture. The word is a person. Yeah. The logos. Who you use the term logos all the time. Logos, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, logos, that means so here's where semantics comes in because they're no one's explaining the process for Jesus, the purpose that Jesus was sent. Peter actually tries to explain this process to us because they're using both terms for it here between the Holy Ghost and the purpose of Jesus. So instead of saying that the Logos, Jesus Christ is the bridge or the Holy Spirit is the bridge to which how God communicates, the Almighty communicates to mankind, Peter explains this to us in Acts chapter 2, 32 and 33, that it's the exalted, that's the, the reference to the priesthood given to Yeshua, the Son who was raised by God and exalted to the right hand of the Almighty. It is He who pours out what you see in here today, the gifts of the spirit that were being poured out at Pentecost, also called Shavuot in Hebrew, because they were keeping the law of God after the resurrection. So it's it's the priesthood of Yeshua who now has the authority to pour out the spirit of God onto earth for various reasons, or to send angels for their missions. That's why Hebrews 1 explains to us, he was given a name, that word in Greek means authority, we got to define our terms, he was given a name and an authority above even the angels. He never said to any of the other angels, sit at my right hand. He never said to any of the other angels, I'm going to make you a high priest over the covenant of Israel, um, uh, over, over heaven and earth. There is a priesthood of angels in heaven, but specifically over all of heaven and earth, the top dog authority over even the angels. That position was only promised to Yeshua, the son. So with that, he now has access to the spirit of God to pour out as he see fit. It's like an ultimate shortcut to God's power and grace. It's amazing. It's love. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. The gifts of the Spirit flow. They've happened in my life. I have personal testimonies to amazing moments of ministry where the gifts of the Spirit flowed out of my life with miraculous results. So that process happens of the Spirit coming to be poured out on the earth or the spirits of God, the angels being commanded for their missions to come to the earth now flows through the position of the high priest, Yeshua, the Son of God. So again, they're arguing over undefined terms. Word, it means logic. And Jesus, I believe, no, that's it. No, no, let, let me finish. You just asked about living love. And I believe Jesus lived it and he lived the logos and he brought the message to us and fulfilled the law. I think that was his duty. So you want and to I think he was here to serve God. And I think that's very coherent. 
Uh, do you, what is your definition of a prophet? A prophet is someone who in short, just, uh, um, makes a prophecy of the future and it's correct. And it's through God or through some sort of revelatory, uh, methodology. So someone who accurately predicts the future is a prophet. No, it's, uh, it would be specific. I mean, you could be wrong about certain things. It's not like, uh, in the context of the Bible, um, we're talking about very specific uh, prophetic uh, reasons and and uh, well, there's a, there is an answer. So Deuteronomy 13 tells us the litmus test for a prophet, as well as we see throughout the um, you know the Tanakh and as a whole, both the uh, the books of history as well as the twelve minor prophets that um, you have and the major prophets. I mean, a prophet was someone ordained by God, usually usually from a priest or an angel, there or the previous prophet when he's passing down a mantle. So a prophet, specifically someone ordained by God, and there's a litmus test for him that if he's a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he says anything contrary to the already established and given word of God that's ordained by angels, he disqualifies, disqualifies himself from being an actual valid prophet. Or if he makes some sort of prognostication that does not come true, and he claims that word was from God, then he should not be feared, and usually he's run out of Israel. So there's very clear definitions for prophets in Scripture. Uh, there, there's a process by which they're normally ordained by someone specifically. Um, this is why I do not call the Apostle Paul an actual prophet. Um, he was an apostle. He was a sent one, right? He even says he's in the agency of Christ in Galatians 2, in Galatians 1, verse 1. That he's sent by Yeshua from, from the visitation, but he did not come to change the law. Unfortunately, our brother Owen is going to be regurgitating that very misinformed doctrine by some extremists out there that think that Paul actually came to change the law, uh, which... They get that idea from Catholicism, man. It's horrible. It's a uh, again. If if we don't know the front of the book, you can you can very easily not understand the terms and metaphors and references Paul's pulling from because you don't know the law of God and you think he's somehow talking against it, but he's not. You just we do an entire breakdown on our other channel, Kingdom in Context, on Paul the Apostle and his writings. I've done uh, both with pastors, with interviews, and with special exposés. I've broken down in great depth how much he taught the law everywhere. He was accused by the Pharisees of not keeping or teaching the law, but that was wrong. So Acts 21 is that great confrontation with Paul and the other James and the elders in Jerusalem where he has to prove that he did teach the law of God and that the rumors about him were untrue. Why are we still repeating those rumors 2,000 years later? Anyway. question, And it's someone who gets direct revelation from God who can change the law. That's what a prophet actually is. And so by that definition, no, Paul not. is That's a prophet after no. Jesus. Because you believe? Okay. Now, hear me out. It's by definition. This is not rhetoric. I know you guys love to say, oh, oh, and you're so great at rhetoric. We're the logical dialectic people. No, I'm explaining to you what a prophet is. Paul came and had divine revelation from Jesus, who you claim is God. He then changed the laws based on his divine revelation, making... No, he didn't. And that's not the definition of a prophet. Making him a prophet after Jesus. Because you guys always make this argument that Jesus is the last prophet. Therefore, hey, uh, Nikolai Blue Jacket, appreciate the super chat. Uh, you're saying, I appreciate the breakdown of this video and all you do for the kingdom. Watching your videos brought much clarity on many biblical topics. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's helping some, some folks out there. Um, appreciate that. Thank you for the super chat. The Mormons are all going to hell. Demon, He's, demon, demon, right? Dude, right? No, no, no. Hear Paul me isn't out. a prophet, dude. Hang on. Hang on. It's the definition of prophet. No. Paul's an apostle. 
You don't even know your history. I just explained. No, I know he's called an apostle. By the definition of a prophet, he's literally a prophet. Well, he's but gentlemen, we got to we got to tie this somehow back into the Trinity here, right. Owen. Right. Okay. No problem. But we admit that Paul's a prophet. No. So Paul repeated prophecy. He referenced prophecy from Isaiah, um, lots from Isaiah, to be honest, uh, from Enoch, um, from different places across the scriptures. But specifically, he he never was ordained as an actual prophet. So, yeah, he's an apostle. And he called himself the least of the disciples because he knew that he was skating in on the, on the mercy of the Messiah. So he didn't change the law from divine revelation. No, so God did not come to him directly, and then he changed the laws. All you're doing is reading. Did no. not do that? No, no. All you're answer, doing is no. defining. Bob, answer the question. No, did that's he not, not change the laws? Changing no, the law isn't a prophet. So what's a prophet? What's a prophet then, Jim Bob? A prophet Does is someone, someone who fucking can predict the future because God came to him? That, that's not the definition of a prophet. Okay, well, we'll just argue about the definitions of a prophet. I don't see how it's relevant. So some prophets did talk about eschatology, future events that were going to happen. They, they repeated other prophecies. Their prophecies matched up. All of them match up. Zechariah, Amos, Joel, Ezekiel, Enoch, Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, all their prophecies about the end times match up perfectly. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Moses even. They also were sent to the corrupt rulers, priests, elders, and kings of the northern and southern houses of ancient Israel to condemn them or to call them to repentance to get back to the commandments of God, the covenant behavior. Um, so there was a multiple, multifunctional role for the ancient prophets of Israel. It wasn't always just about predicting the future. To a Unitarian God making a coherent worldview. Yeah, I would, so, so to be fair, uh, I, I don't have any problem with the argument, Owen, but can you tie it into the Trinity argument? Uh, okay, no problem. We'll just go back to whether or not I love my wife. Is that better for the Trinity argument? Yeah. And, and how you participate in love. It is relevant. It is relevant. Do I participate in love? Yeah, as a practice. I know what's loving, Jim Bob, is telling the truth and answering questions directly. Like you just didn't answer? Like you just didn't answer? What did I answer me? Anything you want directly? Is love a participatory thing? Is love a participatory thing? Mm -hmm. uh, no. I think it's someone not. in a coma can have love. I think someone can be loving and have love in their heart without movement or action. Yes. So you can say, so, so we're not required to live. Do you, you think you live a Christ-like life? You say that a lot. You follow is Christ? It, am I, am I under arrest, Jim? What are these uh, questions? Well, you use a lot of terms. <laughs> so I'm holding you I to live them. a Christ-like life. Yeah. You I follow Christ. I see, I see these two dudes. You guys see those like big, those big like round bubble suits that you can put on like, bang into each other and roll around and everything. I see these two dudes getting so mad that they they just put those suits on and just go at it and just just for hours just knocking at each other and then they go have a beer afterwards and laugh. But um, <laughs> uh, hilarious. I think they said they were friends behind the scenes as well. So <laughs> it makes sense with the type of uh, the type of ribbing and insulting they do with each other that they actually are friends. Yes. I, no, I answered your question about love. I have love if I act or am I Christ-like? Like, I'm, I'm asking key questions and I already pointed to why. If God is singular and eternal and he's a, he's a foundation of love, but he can only love himself, then the actions of love- Why are, are you limiting God's ability? Why can he only you love are. himself? Because I he's am, the only, he's the only one that exists. Can, oh, no, no. Pre-creation. Without Christ being God, the Godhead, the person, yep. 
God can only love himself. You just Eternal. limited the scope and power of God. Hold on. That's what you just, no, no. Don't yeah, let him finish. Let him finish. Retard. Just, just answer the question. Did who you else is there? It? Yeah, who else huh? is there? Yeah, who else is there? Okay, so you're now defining that God is a lonely entity sitting you alone. You are. Eternal okay? God before creation. Who else is there, Owen? Okay, so you just said uh, God uh, needed needed us or Christ in order to participate in love. Without Christ, people say the same thing. Without Paul, no one to know Christ. Without Christ, no one to know the God. You're limiting God, not me, and you know that. Okay, who you're does saying God? That without without the triune Godhead, God could not die. Don't feel bad, Owen. This is a straw man because ultimately we have um, Romans two. Paul tries to express to us that. Uh, Literally, the laws of God at a, at a subconscious heart level, they're already honest. This is literally what we'll be judged by when our secrets are revealed before Yeshua at the judgment. Um, that's in Romans 2, 7 through 16. In Romans 1, just a few verses earlier, verses 19 through 20, it says the invisible characters and unseen qualities of God are, are, um, are known by what's been made. So, yes, um, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we can't technically put a limit on how God could communicate to mankind. Um, I mean, Psalm 19 talks about the stars that speak daily, right? So it's it's interesting. How do they speak? I don't. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know how the ancient Israelites viewed the Maserot and uh, and the stars, but ultimately, there's many ways that God can speak to someone. I mean, He literally uses a donkey at one point, right? So yeah, we definitely can't limit we can't limit God on how He can. How he can uh, uh, call people to repentance or give knowledge to people to flourish them and bless them and grow them um, or save them. I mean, he's got all kinds of ways within the creation that he created, all types of uh, opportunities and characters that he's made um, and billions of angels at his disposal to, to communicate to mankind. Dot, dot, dot. God can only love himself. Dot, dot, dot. He's, like, he's on a level that you don't comprehend, dude. So and he who, can create and love any way he wants. So who does he love when he's pre-creation then? So without Christ, God can't love? That's who, your argument? That's literally is, your argument. You don't answer questions. Who is your, in your singular God, pre-creation, who does God love as the standard of love, as in an action? singular God before, I don't know. How am I supposed to possibly answer that question? I can't know the pure, full nature of God and say, before creation, he couldn't love anyone. He was just a lonely boy sitting around drawing cartoons. Dude. And, and he's right. He would have to assume to answer that question, just like Jim Bob is assuming he already knows the answer to that question. To say, oh, well, it must mean the son was eternally created, and that's who he was loving, since God is love. Like, it's just, all of it's an assumption. None of it's stated in the text. So that's, uh, it, it, Owen's frustration is deserved. But no, that's not, that's not reality at all. You know, so, and I know you're doing the serious boy thing today, then, and you're not being very genuine. And I'm very disappointed in you, to be oh, honest. Bad boy. Um, that well, doesn't work on me. A lot of people. I'm in my own chat right now. People are no like, one gives a shit doing? what disappointment is to you or the chat. No one cares. You're not being authentic or honest at all. Yes, I am. I'm holding you to the fire. I'm hol you're holding. No, your, your chat doesn't do it. Your chat doesn't do it. You ban anyone who who confronts you on this shit. So okay. it's not going to happen today. And. So this is what happens when you don't define words. Both are sincere. Both are trying to get information, but there's so much um, confusion and talking past each other because they haven't defined their terms. So this is why they now are thinking that they're being disingenuous with each other. But 
both are not. They're both being genuine with each other. They're just in massive confusion. They're not using scripture. They're not defining terms. Uniform, singular, self-loving God can only produce a standard of self-loving people. That's the consequence of the singular eternal God. How does God. Jesus sit at the right hand of himself? God, guys, 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 wait, wait relax, no one relax. Said, try to remember, try to remember. As heated, as, heated yeah, as this debate gets, you guys are, hang on, you guys are friends. He Debates get heated like this. Just remember that this, this is the way that they go. You're talking about the most contentious question on planet Earth. Of course, it's going to get heated. So back off on the ad homs, both of you. Let's get back to the debate. Let's get back to the Trinitarianism versus okay. um, non-Trinitarianism. The limitations you say I'm doing, right? Just consider this. To say God can't transcend one and many things, isn't that a limitation? What? Say it one more time. I said to say God can't be one and many things at the same time. Isn't that a limitation? Uh, God can't be one and many. Okay, so here's the thing. The scriptures do not tell us that. That's why I keep calling this a philosophical argument, that God can be one of many things at the same time. This is not Hinduism. This is, no, that's not how this works. The scriptures, the divine revelation from the angels to the prophets, to priests, to mankind, like, that's, not, that's not the message that was communicated to us from the Almighty. He's a character. He has a, he were made in his image. He has a face. He has hair. He has arms and legs. Like he's, a, he, he's seen in the visions of Enoch and Daniel. Like, he is a specific person. He's a character. Obviously, they agree. He's, they think he's three persons uh, with one essence. But they also believe that the Father is the first person in the Trinity. So they acknowledge that God is a person, that he, the Almighty is a person, and that he is uh, the one that communicates these messages to other people to, to take them to earth. So it's he's not in all things at all times. His spirit which is the power source, flows and animates all things. That's described in scripture. It's also described in books that have been taken out, like the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 1, used to be in the Bible, but it was taken out 140 years ago, where it talks about his spirit is in all things. That sure works well for a, a Trinitarian argument to take that book out by some Trinitarian Anglican priests, because that's what they claim. Oh, you must be a Jehovah's Witness if you think that God's power animates, his spirit animates all things. I'm like, what do you think keeps everything alive? Where do you think the power comes from? So, yeah. Oh, by the way, it was directly told to us in Scripture, which some dudes who didn't have the authority to tamper with the collection of books decided to tamper with it. And since they had connections with publishers in the early 20th century, they got the new revised modern edition called with 66 books mass published and spread around the known Western first world nations. So there used to be 80 books in the Bible. So if this were 1850s, I would flip right open to wisdom of Solomon chapter one. And I'd point to you in, in chapter one, Oh, the spirit of God is in all things and moves and powers all things. So yes. So God is not the person of God is not in all things. He doesn't transcend one and many things. His power that flows from him fills the creation and keeps all things moving. But his person, like that power that exudes from him, just like we see power and light exude from Yeshua or from the angels. But the power itself of, of the, whole, the Spirit of God that animates all things is not its own person. It's never described as its own person to be in one thing and all. It's, does that make any sense? I know, I know the argument, the rebuttal is going to be, 
Oh, but it's the essence. This is the essence we're talking about. The Holy Spirit is never personified in a body in any scripture ever, ever. It's only the Father and the Son and the angels. So I think it's interesting that certain writings of ancient uh, early church fathers were burned, people that disagree with the Trinity, and in modern times, books that would dispel the, or in ancient times, books that dispels the Trinity, like the, the Book of Enoch is removed from a lot of canons. It's still in some canons, but not in all of them. And then in modern times, books that also dispel modern arguments for the Trinity, that book was removed from the canon. So, okay, so Hartford's Glory is saying the Eastern Orthodox Church does have the wisdom of Solomon in their canon. I guess I looked at a different canon then. I'll have to go uh, do some more research on which canons they adhere to. So that's even worse for that argument. For That's even more contradictory why they would believe in the Trinity if that's the case. Yeah. Many things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm not claiming that. I'm saying Jesus isn't like, didn't claim to be God. If he was God, the story makes no sense. Me saying that I don't believe in the Trinity does not make me a bad boy. You understand? Okay. You're so not when, just right because of the must be Nithean creed, right? So a bunch of Romans sat around and fucking made a bunch of claims that aren't in the Bible. That's so do you appeal to, wait, but do you appeal to the Bible though, still for your theology? A lot of it, I don't appeal to Paul. Okay, so what's the arbiter of authority to determine what you appeal to and what you don't? I don't know, Jim Bob. Why don't because, you tell me? Well, the problem I see... I know you already got the answers ready to go, so go ahead. It's mostly a Protestant problem, which is funny because, I mean, you rightly so, uh, you know, demolish these, these modern views of, like, faith alone, you don't have to do anything. All right, because of the time um, with my personal schedule tonight, and um, and also the the nature of the debate. They're gonna Jim Bob's gonna go into a whole segment where he's going in on Protestants and stuff. And we understand the Ortho, the Eastern Orthodox doesn't like the Roman Western Catholic Church or the Protestants. We get that. That's some infighting. We're gonna skip forward a little bit to to towards the end here. The trees, God, go finger like and out. Saints, yeah, the saints, yeah, totally. So so if God is transcendent, and if we all agree from that position. I don't think oneness actually transcends all things because it doesn't transcend one in many things. I get what you're saying. I, I just think one is closer to infinite than three. And I'll tell you why, because I think God as the creator of all is outside of the creation. So when someone says, can he be many of all things? Like a, I'll go back to the same uh, metaphor that a carpenter making a four legged table is not four. He just made that. And so when you're dealing with someone who created time, because I hear this a lot of people saying, well, the God is basically the Big Bang because someone had to create God. And I say, no, I believe God created time. So when you're dealing with someone who made time, made space, made matter, you don't have to apply that to the creator. We're the one entity. And so I'm not a polytheistic. You know, uh, that's why I'm not a Trinitarian, because I don't believe there are multiple gods working in unison. Because you could say Mount Olympus is one. Okay, just to clarify our stance here on the idea of, of Unitarians calling Trinitarians polytheists, Trinitarians calling Unitarians trying to break down the idea that Jesus is God, but not the Almighty. Um, and I'm not technically a Unitarian, even though they'll probably label me that. They they say, oh, you're a polytheist too. And I'm like, that's the, the idea, the, the biblical reference to someone that might be a polytheist is someone that did not worship Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth or his son, but instead worship false gods, which were the representation of unclean spirits. So 
I, while tr- classic Trinitarians trying to describe three persons who they all claim are God, but have the essence of one God, sounds very much like polytheism. I know in their hearts, they're not truly worshiping unclean spirits. They're trying to worship the creator of heaven and earth. They're just very confused on the semantics and not defining their terms. And they're ignoring the agency of the sun and, and what God means in reference to the agency of the sun. So they're just, just, and at the same time, there's a definition for the word worship. There's temple worship that, that Yeshua would execute on behalf of the Father as he mediates in a high priest position versus the worship that a ruler and a king receives from people that respect him and bow down to him. So when Thomas in John chapter 20 worships, Yahweh, worships Yeshua, he's not doing temple worship. He's bowing down to his Lord and his ruler, his Lord and his God. In the same way, that's consistent with how Jesus tells us, worship God alone. So temple worship, where will we worship? Well, oh, I tell you the truth, in the future, we worship God in spirit and truth. Now they're here nor in Jerusalem, right? Because it's going to be in the new Jerusalem that comes down into heaven. The city built with whose architect is whose God, right? So this is where we understand that that's where true worship is going to take place to the Father. But every knee will bow to the Son in obedience and respect like you do a king or a high priest. But that's not the, te- the definition of temple worship. So this is another word that never gets defined in these arguments. It's two types of worship that are expounded upon in in Scripture. And so put all these things together, you get a clear, coherent story. You're not arguing semantics. It becomes very clear on, on why we can call the Son of God, who's been given all authority in heaven and earth and made our high priest, why we can bow our knee to him in worship. That's reverence and respect. But at the same time, he's our high priest. So he receives our prayers and, and our offerings to the Father and turns around and mediates true temple worship on behalf to the Father, on our behalf. So, yeah, one of the greatest points of context, one of the easiest ways to find context in Scripture is to define your words. Essence, it's a Godhead, and they're all working together to, you know, that, that, that to me doesn't sound logical. Is is one you said one is more perfect or close to? And I would reject God as equal to infinity. I think infinity is a mathematical description, and it's not identical because infinity is found be, on a ruler between zero and one. Actually, so obviously God's not found in a ruler in a ruler, right? Uh, as it's a concept, not found in a ruler between zero and one. I know what you're saying, where you say go halfway to one. But God's not a concept, right? You would say God's not a concept. He would he would be a being. Us, God would be a concept the same way. A cube is a concept to a line right. where a line could maybe understand what a cube could be, but is not in the two dimensional world. So uh, you said yeah. infinitely, infinity is more perfect as one thing. But if let's say we draw a line, no, I what's... said one is closer to infinity than three is what I okay. said. Okay. So, but let's talk about if infinity isn't, isn't perfect though, right? We're not describing perfect We're you're saying closer to infinity, but is what's more perfect, a single segment or a triangle of equal segments? Is unity more perfect than singular? Yes, but all possible outcomes, all matter, all everything can be one dot represented in a fifth, sixth, seventh dimension. And that's how other dimensions operate. So when someone says, is unity, is three better than one? Or none of that matters. Like every possibility of all movement of all time, I agree with what Owen just said. None of what they're talking about matters. 
none of that matters to the scriptures and what the scriptures plainly tell us in a procedural manner of who the son is, who the father is, what the son was asked to come do, the whole purpose of creation, the nature of the, the angel or the, the nature of God, who's a spirit, as well as the angels, as well as his son who was pre-incarnate versus the nature of mankind in the flesh, which his son became in the flesh at one point for a short time, and then now is glorified back to a spirit being. So there's only two natures in all of creation, the spiritual and the earthy. And this is told us clearly in scripture. So yes, this whole mathematical argument about infinity or one and what's closer to infinity or whatever, none of that matters, guys. This is not scripture. It can be represented by one dot. That one dot is an infinite point because it doesn't actually exist. It's one point. And so when you're starting to think about other dimensions where God could actually reside in, it doesn't follow the same rules as our three-dimensional world. You know, actually a fourth-dimensional world because of time. You have space, you know. So we're actually in a fourth-dimensional world. And so every possibility of our entire world can be summed up in one point. Now you can have another entire universe of another point and then draw a line and then you're back to another dimension and it can extrapolate to the inf infinite, in my mind, I can't even imagine it. And then you're starting to understand the realm in which God walks. And so when someone says Jesus is God or is Jesus saving man with the word of God, that is a major distinction that needs to happen. Well, even with that, if you refer to the single point as the ultimate perfection uh, moment or whatever coordinate, wouldn't that single point be the result of unity of many things? Unity yes. would still win out, right? Well, no, it'd be all. That's what I think Allah originally meant was all law. Law. You know, like all things. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot about the word of God because people... Now, if you're Shinto, you could say God is the tree and all this stuff. And I, some of their ideas I understand were, you know, the, the Kabbalistic approach that God shattered himself into a billion pieces is in all things and now needs to be re-put together. And that's why they're healing the world. I get... I study this shit all the time. The idea that Jesus Christ is God negates the entire story from having any logical coherence. If it has no logical coherence, it is of confusion. That's my point. And yeah. Jesus Christ said, we go to the kingdom of heaven as children, not as, you know, giant worded, confused, you know, uh, dogmatic, robed, ring wearing freaks, you know? Yeah, but the, for say to say something needs to you know uh, to appeal to logical coherence, right? Again, yeah. we're we're assuming the way we understand logic and coherence is descriptions in the world, like the the dresser can't be the mirror and so forth. If we both agree that God transcends that methodology and God is supra rational, above rationality, right beyond our our normative con, you know, way of. Uh, formulating things and descriptions of, of things out there, right? He's beyond that, right? Yeah, so he can't be a man. I mean, he could. I, that's not, I get what you're saying. I just caught myself trying to limit. I get it. I'm here for truth, bro. I'm not just here to win. Even though my opening seemed hostile, I thought it was hilarious. It's, no, it's okay. Okay. I really, you know, cunning is it like calling you a J? I just thought you'd laugh at that. Anyway, uh, like I'm part J too. So I mean, I, I did. I, I did, right? <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think now we're starting to have a real conversation where we're both trying to figure this shit out. Isn't uh, one though a singular particular though? Like, like if you go like God is one, 
now he's one of what though? It almost do you see how that necessitates another category of what God is? It's then like why God, would God is be one. Three, then? That's called begging the question. Isn't three? Well, a, well no, a, don't go to three yet. Just go to the one itself. Just go. Forget the three part. Just go. If God is one, then he's one of something, right? So now he's in a category of one. May thing. be a, a, the wrong word because I, I almost see it as point of all. Like one as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I get what you're saying. Like one entity, it, it's it's almost like a word in our language that's slightly not enough because it's like one or two or three or four. Like when I say one, I mean on another dimension that we can't fathom that created this. And I believe that God, I agree with you about love. I don't think God is love because then you, why would I not say, Amy, I got you, you know, God is love. It has to go. If you, you then you would replace God with the word love interchangeably, and I don't believe that, you know. Uh, but I get what you're saying about like the love we have for each other and the hope and all the virtues we have comes from God. So that's why I feel loved and I feel like it comes from God. And I think Jesus, in a sense, my interpretation, and I know that that bothers some people, is that Jesus, in a way, merged with that pure will somehow. And was trying to explain it to people where it's about how to. Yes. Yes. Not merged. Practiced. Practice the pure will of God. It's called the commandments. Not merged. But I mean, if you, okay, semantics, if you want to, okay, merged. But through obedience, he, well, even though he's a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. He was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He taught us to keep the commandments of God. He kept the commandments of God. And he told us that's the recipe for how we have joy in this life. That's how he had his joy. Yes, I know he's prophesied in his day to be a man of sorrows, but at the same time, he walked around and exemplified joy in moments where he did. This is the outcome of which there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit that comes from keeping the commandments of God, which was exemplified in our Messiah. So yes, Yeshua showed that to the whole world. This is what God looks like because I'm going to do his behavior. Those are That behavior is explained to us in great deal throughout all the scriptures called the commandments. So Yeshua, being the express image of the Father, of the Almighty, showed us what the Almighty's behavior was like. This is why Philip would ask him in John 14, in that Greek word, demonstrate us the Father. Not manifest the Father, demonstrate to us the Father. That's what Philip is asking in John 14. And Yeshua says, you've been with me all this time. How can you say, demonstrate the Father to you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's literally saying, I've been showing you the behavior of the Father this whole time. I've been demonstrating to you the behavior of the Father this whole time. If you've seen me and everything that I'm doing, you've seen the creator of heaven and earth, the Almighty, the Father. So it's very simple. It's in the text. It's right there. It's not mystical. It's not esoteric. It's not, it, it doesn't require a priest to interpret it for you or some church father. It's literally in the text. It's very simple. Father had a son. He sent his son to become our Messiah who can help redeem us from our transgression and resurrect us to eternal life. He's also going to judge the wicked for their sins and it's going to create peace on earth. It's very simple. He's a ruler and that word is also called God. So I, I think Owen is, is uh, teetering, not teetering, but he's like tiptoeing onto these ideas, but he doesn't know how to articulate them yet, basically, because he's still studying scripture.
get above the flesh of your body, be above, mm -hmm. you know, be in the world, not of it and merge directly with the one, you know, and not, it's do you not think Jesus is, is, do you the take one. the, do you take, yeah, that's, that's called discipleship. The scriptural, um, approach that Jesus is begotten by God, or do you reject that scripture too? I don't reject, I don't reject that. But he can't be begotten the same exact way as uh, Walter is begotten or my daughter is begotten to. I don't me, know right? how the biology works. But it would, if it was godly, if it was of God, if God said my begotten son, obviously it's outside of the category of. This is a this is a really bad argument, in my opinion, because from what I understand, the Greek word begotten is uniquely created, and uh, and that's in the in the John three sixteen fashion, right? That's in that context, because in another context, in Matthew one and Luke three. You have all the genealogies, or First Corinthians chapter, First Chronicles chapter one. You know he begot he, and just talks about genealogy of who who begot which father begot which son. You know, so I think this this whole idea of again, Jim Bob is trying to make a case for the eternal nature of the son and how he was never somehow brought forth from the father before the world began, and that he was eternally begotten. This is literally the phrase I've had classic Trinitarians throw at me that he was eternally begotten, which is what. He's eternally uniquely created. Like what it's it's a it's oxymoronic. It's 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 words. It's just words. It's just words they've heard and repeat. So yeah. Uh, we're almost done, guys. We got like a minute left. Our human biology, right? Right off the bat. Even if we said, well, what is it? We would could say it's not yeah. identical to to this, right? Yeah, I don't think it was and then would you say that uh someone in the chat says self-begotten with <laughs> No, the Apocrypha of Abraham does not say that the son was self-begotten. It says the eternally unbegotten is the father. So I'm not sure what version of that you're reading. Our kids, um, because they're begotten from us, they share our nature, but not just physicality. Not like, oh, he has hair like me or whatever. Like uh, I'm saying like they share our nature. They, they Even though we can't isolate what it oh. is. They're yeah, of your nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, if, yeah. if God can be God, uh, only a singular one son of his, wouldn't it follow that the same way uh, our kids take our nature, that Christ would take God's nature? Yeah, but don't you think we are of God? Like, don't you think that we are also of God? So again, this is a rough argument. This is a rough way to try to, to isolate um, Yeshua in this idea that he was he was begotten, and he's the he's he is this considered the son of God, the only begotten son of God. In that context of who he is and why he's sent, versus the angels who are also called sons of God in Genesis, and also the Book of Job, and then Adam was called a son of God because he was a direct, unique creation of God. So, this is why at the resurrection, Yeshua who calls our names out, Revelation 3, 5. He calls our names out before the Father and the Son. He is through the power of the Holy Spirit that's under his command. He will raise to life from the dead, from Sheol, with glorified bodies. He raised the saints to life. And they're all called sons of God. Not sons of men anymore. Not sons of Adam. Not sons of their fathers. They'll be called sons of God at that point. And children of Zion, because they inherit the New Jerusalem. So, again, we have to look at the context of how these terms are used, and it can really help weed out all the confusion. I don't think we're begotten. I don't believe we're eternally begotten of God. I think we're be we're we're begotten of previous creation. Like um, you think we, Adam was begotten of God. 
not begotten eternally by God a creation. I don't think Christ, that that's where we differ is that I don't think it follows that Christ is a creation if he's begotten by God, because of God would be eternal and he would share God's nature the same way. Um, All right. So the reason why he's, he sounds like right now he's really afraid to actually say the definition of the word begotten, which is uniquely created. That's why he keeps saying he's, a, he's eternally begotten. They don't want to actually put those three words together that Jesus was created. That's, that's the anathema terms within the Trinitarian circles. They want to stay away from those particular little, that little phrase, Jesus will be gotten, that'll get you kicked out of the club. So he's, he's tap dancing around this description, this definition of begotten, even though uh, Owen's asking logical questions. Because if you ever say that Jesus was created or allude to anything that he was created somehow by the Father before the world began, or, or at any point, you get kicked out of their club. So it's fear. My daughter shares my nature. So if he's begotten by God and uh, then he's, he shares the nature of God, if he's only a creation, uh, it falls apart because, at least from the, from the scriptural view, that all creation was through Christ. If it says all creation and, God's, and Christ is a creation, if you take that approach, then it says all of creation was through creation, right? And so uh, there's this like weird moment of, Christ being a creation before creation, but it says all of creation is through Christ. Weird moment is the optimal term right now. Christ. Okay, that was it. That was it, guys. Um, I also just want to put this back on screen for any Trinitarians watching. Uh, we have to define our words in Scripture. They have definitions established by scholars, the texts, the, the ancient writings of the ancient people, the lexicons, everybody involved, except for the people misusing them. They're not defining them. So we have to define our terms. And context determines the use of some of these words in Scripture. If I, had, if I use the word table, you don't know if I'm talking about the water table 50 feet below my house or if I'm talking about the table on which water sits inside my house. Context creates comprehension. Guys, I want to thank you guys so much for your Super Chats tonight. I want to thank you so much for being here. Download the app in the video description below, KIC app. We have a fellowship finder on there, people all across the world in multiple countries that you can find fellowship with. Um, like, share, subscribe. If you like this video, you like my reaction, consider subscribing. If you want to become our Patreon, we have specially uploaded content over there that we can't play on YouTube. We're reacting to The Chosen and other things right now. Um, that's in the video description below. You guys are amazing. Remember here at The Brave Believer, we rise until we are risen. We'll see you next time.